Welcome to Ludicrously Specific. You know the drill by now, so I'm not even going to try to repeat it because I'm just happy I'm getting through the end of this year. My name's Doug, and my favorite film from 1964 is Woman of the Dunes. My name is Darren, and my favorite film from 1964, among many, is Marnie, A Shot in the Dark, The Train. (laughs) Someone's doing a (laughs) me. And actually, Seven Days in May. And uh, my name's Steve, and my favourite film from 1964 is Goldfinger. Nice choice. Mm. And why are we talking about 1964? We're old, really. Well, it's because, and I quote, Today we are doing three movies from 1964 with the number seven in the title. A nice simple one for us, actually, I think. Yeah. That's actually not that bad. The three seven. Well, not that bad in terms of complexity. Exactly, yeah. Viewing experience might be a different thing to talk about. <laughs> but before we talk about 1964, shall we talk about... Um, Other things. I don't want to... I was going to say 2021, but let's not talk about <laughs> oh, 2021. No. We're recording a couple days before Christmas in our first time in the same since, room since oh, July? July. I was thinking at least coming on yeah, six months. So July. that explains why I'm out of the well permanently, hopefully. He says yes. that's wood, that I'm not down the well. We are actually joined together around the microphone in my living room for the first time in six months. Yeah. Actually, I bought you a portable well for Christmas. Oh, excellent. Your well can be wherever you are. Well, well, well. Moving on. <laughs> Dear. Uh, <laughs> So I haven't been doing this, but I understand some of you are watching Christmas movies because it's in the run-up to Christmas. Um, I've seen a, a one or two. I've seen, I've seen one and a half so far. <laughs> Do we count Boogie Nights as a Christmas movie? Because there's a scene where he goes into the um, bakery at Christmas and then the uh, Don Cheadle goes in and there's the Christmas cookies and then the shootout happens. I, I, so that yeah. counts perfectly. Okay, I then so. I saw a Christmas movie you at, Christmas. at the Hollywood, no less. Yeah, not, well, you so. could talk about that then. Oh, um, as seen as you started. Sure, yeah. Um so I had seen Boogie Nights uh, twice, um, or actually I'd seen it one and a half times in the theater before this, because the first time I saw it, loved the first half, hated the second half, when it just felt, I just felt like it was just pushing the characters' faces in misery mm. and wallow for like mm. an hour and 15 minutes, and um, about six months later, uh, it came to a brew pub cinema that had like $1.00 entry and a friend of mine hadn't seen it and it was like a late showing so I'm like you know what I would love to see the first half of that movie again and it's cheap enough that I can do that and so I went in and the second the 80s came up on the screen I said y'all have a good time I'm going home Um, (laughs) and at that point um, the idea that Paul Thomas Anderson would be a contender for my favorite American director much less even my favorite American director named Anderson seemed really (laughs) currently working I will say Mm -hmm. Um, but he is probably the only American director that's made three films that are in my top 50 films of all time Um, which are those are Punch Drunk Love There Will Be Blood and The Phantom Thread Mm -hmm. Um, Boogie Nights is potentially now his fourth best film for me so when I say that it's like not kind of 
there's some directors when you say their fourth best film and you're like, like what else what else is down here but um I was so looking forward to licorice pizza <laughs> yeah we'll see we'll see maybe it won't mm. be my uh, fourth favorite although I, I I tend to be immune like I don't like dazed and confused that much I don't I tend to be immune to the teenage hangout films so I don't have high hopes but he was never a teenager. No, I no, no. I was I, <laughs> hung out. Right into the twins. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I, I was a teenager, but I didn't hang out. That's the thing. It's like these characters aren't sitting in their room reading books. They're not real. <laughs> <laughs> Sunlight? Um, Sunlight? Really? Yeah. <laughs> but the thing about Boogie Nights, man, watching it now at a distance, I mean, A, the whole like um, decline of film and replacement by video is so trenchant to the actual cinematic experience you know um but also just um the extent to which it's so intent to get everything out of every scene and makes like there's the famous one at the start that's trying to one-up the goodfellas uh one where you go into the club and follow yeah. but there's like 15 oneers in the film it's just all about like how can I make this a set piece as well? How can I make this a set piece? How can I you know, it's, how can I make every scene unforgettable? And that that bit that bothered me is still there, but it's like it's an eight minute sequence that should be five minutes. Mm-hmm. And in a hundred and fifty five minute movie that has so much great stuff in it, fine. It's got a blemish. He is a bloody twenty six year old that with and the cast of that thing is just insane. But also that he was like got that entire cast of John C. Riley, William H. Macy, Burt Reynolds, Heather Graham, Julianne Moore, um, Louis Louis Guzman, Mark Wahlberg, when most of them were either obscure or oh yeah, that guy's still around. Uh, you know, <laughs> Philip Baker Hall. You know, the list just goes on and on. Ricky Jay. Um, you know, and it just. And he's got the touch. Alfred Molina. Um, yeah, well, uh, that was, that being a reference to uh, the recording studio scene. Um, and yeah, and it's indulgent and it's all those things, but it was just a, a real joy to see it at the Hollywood the other week. And um, and yeah, and it, it's, it's no more or less a Christmas movie than... Um, actually, I'd say it's, it's more a Christmas movie than... Die Hard because Die Hard's about falling off something, where in uh, the end of Boogie Nights they rise again. There so you, go. you know, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> wow. I've, anyway. seen, I've seen Boogie Nights for once, and it was a, quite a long, long time ago. And I, I remember I enjoyed it, but at the back of my head it was kind of I probably don't ever need to hunt this one down again. I'd watch if it came on, but it's. It's at times it is a grind, but if you look into the history of seventies porn, which yeah. I have, it's it's a it's a grind. Of course, I have. I, I think one of the things it's, about it is yeah. because it's based on the story it, of John Holmes, right? Yeah. And because like the actual story of John Holmes is died of AIDS, so you yeah. know it's like, um, and so I I feel like in order to justify it having a happy ending, um, as a film, it feels like you have to like, okay, well I'm cheating that, so it means I have to front load a lot of dark stuff in order to make it feel like I'm not totally uh, sanitizing the experience, even though, you know, AIDS doesn't really, or any STDs full stop, I don't think, appear in the picture, you know, and, and, 
but you, you can't it. really sanitize the 70s porn era because it was I mean you once you get into porn it is the deep underbelly is always there you've got your mafia ties you've got yeah you know the I mean even today we're getting you know one of the most well-known porn stars is suddenly on trial for a dozen sexual harassments and, and rapes so sorry um, who's this you hadn't heard the hedgehog Ron Jeremy oh I yeah. yeah 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 so I mean even now it's still got that that deep underbelly and you know, the seventies was at that time for a brief, shiny moment where suddenly it became, it became a big thing, and you could yeah. go into a, a theater with your date with a bunch of other people and watch porn, and it was that that yeah. golden age of porn where they had budgets and they had plots, and mm-hmm. and then as you say, the eighties came along and the VHS camera came along and plots went out the window. And I I thought about watching it, what it would be like if this movie came out today and the and the discourse around it and i don't know what the discourse around boogie nights was at the time but they didn't have twitter and and they didn't have hashtag problematic and yeah boy yeah it would it would get a lot of that but i did i did actually also have a real sentimental attachment to the whole building of community and and people who find a find a family and find a place to belong that don't fit in in the rest of things and yeah it's it's a fucked up place and it, it has lots of clear and obvious harms that are produced by it but they also they have people who are looking out for them when no one else will and that's not nothing mm. Mm. is phantom thread is that a christmas does that have any christmas scenes i can't it, sure <laughs> like it, it feels like it should i feel like i feel like it does i feel like um I don't know what they are, but, you know, yeah. I, it's time for me to revisit it anyway. So, oh, yeah. Um, I've actually only watched it once, but it, it was just so blew me away when I, I first saw it. I saw it um, just on on Neon or Sky just right. a year or so ago, and it absolutely floored me. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, yeah, definitely that would be one of my favorites. I, um, Magnolia, I... Mm. Uh, that just sort of hits me on every all the emotional levels. It's uh, uh, I I love the um, the the song sequence where it just yeah. joins all the stories together. Where they're all. Have you ever seen Magnolia? Oh, I've not seen Magnolia. No. The middle hour of Magnolia, which is almost like a non-stop machine mm. of it's like the first hour's prologue and the third hour's epilogue, mm. and the second hour takes place over like almost real time but with seven or eight different stories all going on at the same time between all the threads and it's just a non-stop I think Magnolia for me suffers from the knowledge that he had to rush it out and I think he's even said now that if he had time he would probably take another 10 to 15 minutes out of it and I think it would uh. be I think it's I think it's the movie that he didn't necessarily fully find in the edit but that you know there's still some mm. people's favorite PTA because it is so audacious and it makes some huge choices and there's great performances and I mean mm. and I feel like that was the film actually where Tom Cruise kind of oh that sla- was yeah I mean I, I watched shot might have been the year before but um, regardless I feel like that was a thing of like I, I feel like to some extent Tom Cruise is kind of cowed a little bit by Kubrick in that film and Kubrick kind of sort of turns everyone a little bit into so what is the other password? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will admit that um, 
uh, Eyes Wide Shut bored me utterly, utterly senseless. It's, Eyes Wide Shut is a Christmas movie, incidentally. Yeah, but it's the most firmly. Kubrickian movie of the Kubrick films. <laughs> and it's and we and Kubrick have never really seen either way. If There's it a couple wasn't of for the work, masquerade but... sequence, uh, I, I did mm. find that film... Oh. A really diffly dull, um, but I've never gone back to oh, it. No. I love them. I, I went. I saw it on a it couple year years ago. Or? No, uh, in LA the last time. So it would have been the last time I was able to go to the states and know <laughs> that I could actually come home. So that would have been twenty uh, eighteen mm-hmm. uh, or twenty nineteen. No, twenty eighteen, and. Um, yeah, I, I, for me, it really worked on the big screen, and I feel like it does tap into a lot of stuff in long-term relationships that wasn't part of my life when I saw it. I mean, there's still an artificiality and a something around it that if you don't buy into the plasticity of it, there's no getting around it, you know? It's 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 not something you're going to warm up to, and I Kubrick's not exactly known for movies you warm They're up to anyway. They're not warm hugs of movies, really. But just, Sidney yeah. Pollack, for me, is the yeah. MVP. He just, That's true, yes. I think he just steals that film, just effortlessly. But it's... Mm. Um, oh, I suppose... I suppose I should talk, talk about... about your Christmas yeah. movie, yeah. All right. Mine is a film I was introduced... Uh, to by um, a, a good mate for, um, quite some time ago, about 10 or so years ago, a film called Some Girls. I see a lot of blank faces. <laughs> Once brief, again, brief I know the Rolling Stones yeah. song and I know the Screamo <laughs> band. I don't think either are going to be relevant no. to right. this. <laughs> so, uh, showing them a poster of Some Girls does not help. I, it's I, Patrick I Dempsey and Jennifer Connelly. No, floating heads. I recognize Jennifer, Jennifer Connelly. Con- oh, yep, yep. Okay. Recognize yeah. Jennifer Connelly. Yes, indeed. And it's a, it's a film about a um, a guy who is um, is has been in a relationship with uh, Jennifer Connelly at school. Jennifer Connelly um, had left school for personal reasons, which I never explained, um, or vaguely explained. Um, Actually, they are explained, now I think about it. But that's okay, let's carry on. Um, So she's left school, um, and uh, he hasn't seen her in ages. He um, gets a a message from her to come and spend uh, Christmas with her and her her crazy family. And um, so that's what he goes and does. And um, And Dixon Sue? And antics ensue. But the fact is that it is such a... um, In Canada. Antics ensue in Canada. Do you know which part of Canada? No. Okay. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's mentioned. It's a small country. Just curious if it's more Toronto vibe or a Manitoba vibe or... It's it's a big country country house covered in snow. Um, Okay. Rural Canada vibe. That's universal. Rural Canada vibe. Yeah. And it's a um, so it's a film about um, Patrick Dempsey uh, being attractive to the three women there. That so it's Jennifer science Connelly fiction. And <laughs> <laughs> Someone hasn't seen Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> uh, so there's Jennifer Connelly. There's her older sister and her younger sister. And Jennifer Connelly, of all of them, is probably the one who is the coldest towards him. Um, but there's also there's um, the, the their mother, and Andre Gregory plays the father. If yeah. you've you must have heard of Andre yeah, yeah. Gregory, but 
Another blank face. Probably if I saw him on screen. You know me and faces. It's dinner faces. with Andre. He is ah. the titular Andre. <laughs> well, there you go. It's, uh, and it's... Um, so the, that's the cast, plus there's the... Um, the mother's mother is... Um, is Yeah, that's I, a... a a great visual medium. A great visual prop for I'm now looking at a picture and I do recognize it. Yes. <laughs> I just watched The yeah. Worst Person in the World last night and they're having a radio debate about comics and the comic director is getting really angry. It's like, this isn't the right medium for this. <laughs> anyway, but continue. Let's discuss movies instead. <laughs> so the, the mother's mother is... Um, is slowly dying of dementia at the same time as all this is going on the uh, the father is an artist who um, can only paint in the nude um so (laughs) exactly it's it has been battered by the quirk stick yeah but it is it's a film that is so much deeper than it looks it's. I mean, because it, it. It. There was are. Was this a share with mom film? Was this? It a, was an actual yeah. fact. Yeah. It's. Um, there's. There's lots of sexual escapades and things, but none of that is really the focus. Ultimately, it's the. Um, there's so many women in this film, but the the main relationship is Patrick Dempsey, and the um, and the mother with dementia who believes that's her her, um, dead husband and that's why it's a film I go back to and that's why it's such a beautiful watch it has lots of humour and it has silliness and it has nudity and it has not just Andre Gregory's you'd be glad to know <laughs> but it is I, <laughs> I, I, I once again I re- okay, so Boogie Nights it makes up for it. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend this highly it is just uh, it, it's definitely something cool. you could watch with Sarah you could watch with Dawn nice it's um, okay. yeah. It's just a really lovely film, and I'm very grateful to my um, to my friend for um, bringing it into my world. It's and to be true, he um, the main reason he brought it into my world is that we all have massive crushes on Jennifer Connelly, well, doesn't yeah, yeah. it? I mean, that's, and that's, that's well paid being, off. That's called that's, being human. Yeah, <laughs> not not even just being called <laughs> just being male. That's being human. Yeah, yeah. it's and that's well paid off, but. The yeah, it's a, a beautiful a beautiful story between those two characters. Cool. So yeah. Highly, highly recommend it. And now I bring the tone down because <laughs> I've watched well, one and a half Christmas movies so far, not counting the one I came in that uh, the one my wife was watching, which was um, one of these new twenty twenty one lifestyle movies that make me want to repair oh my, my own eyeballs. Oh my god, there's so many of them. Have you looked on They're any streaming service? They're all made by service? fucking Canada. Every <laughs> streaming service. If you look on Tubi now, when you type in the word Christmas, you can scroll for a week and only hit the 2020s. It's Actually, just when we came in today, he was still scrolling. scrolling. <laughs> what was that movie I watched? Scroll, scroll, yeah, scroll. Yeah. And so the two Christmas movies so far, half of it this morning, I started rewatching The Silent Partner. Right. Woo-hoo. 
Mm. I have not seen since Darren showed it to me some years ago, probably five or six or I don't know how many. I've, I've seen it about five or six times, times since then, uh, which is once again very Canadian and very, very good. They are, I've seen. I've really it's even got it. John Candy in it. That, yeah. That's how Canadian it's it is. It's that Canadian. And, and it's at Eden Centre in Toronto, which yeah, yeah. Toronto. And I was quite surprised because when I look back, I, I'd reviewed it. I'd only given it three stars, but I kind of worked out I must have watched it with a couple of other Christmas movies. And so I'm watching it as a clean slate. And you probably like we sleep slept through the ninja scenes. Right. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> Very possibly. If the only ninjas turn up there, it's five stars automatically. But it's, it's definitely, it's cranking up to four stars just in the first hour because, uh, you know, the cast yeah. is just phenomenal. And we've got some real creepy people <laughs> going on there. And, and the shocks. Oh. The... the yeah, yeah, but even even just like Dawn came downstairs, just as our bad guys looking through, oh. looking through a letter slot into Alecul's apartment, yeah. and she went and she literally looked over and went, "That's a nice shot." And I'm like, "Yeah, it is a nice shot. This is going to be a great film to keep watching." Sadly, then unfortunately, uh, lunch turned up and I had to start you know preparing stuff, so I set my timer wrong for that one. But and I'll finish Christopher off Christopher Plummer, Christopher is, Plummer is, is absolute. I mean, Elliot Gould yeah. is just as sort of quirky cool, but Christopher Plummer is just phenomenal in this movie. And funny enough, Elliot Gould in the 2020 really became our kind of our, our cinema mascot for our weekly movie ones. Mm. He kind of overtook both Bronson and um, John Saxon as, hey, let's put on an Elliot Gould movie, from, you know, Freebie and the Bean, for instance. Busting. which was The Ugebusting, yeah. Right, there was some fantastic yeah. ones, so... More to come, I'm sure, from his uh, oeuvre, if I can use a, a film word. You can. That, that, could be, that could be a theme for us in the future, because nice. I pretty much will watch anything with Elliot anything Gould. With Elliot Gould. Mm. Just in anything with Elliot Gould Day. But with Elliot the, Gould and Muppets, even better. Well, speaking of Muppets, <laughs> kind of, uh, the, the one movie I have watched properly as a Christmas movie, and it was a Cinema Z movie with a couple of the Cinema Z crew. Muppets, kind of. <clears throat> Feeders 2 hyphen Sleigh Bells. Oh. I saw this at the Academy at a double feature that um, one, one or both of the Timpsons put on there for Christmas a few years, oh, maybe a goodness. decade or so ago. Yeah. Um, there seems to be a lot of debate about what it played with, and this is in the pre-letterbox days, so <laughs> whether it was Saint or whether it was Raw it Force. Wasn't saint. Um, it wasn't Saint Raw and Raw Force, Force played was, together. Yeah, right, so, yeah. or, maybe, or if it was Christmas it. Evil, or I don't know what. But, Whatever it was, or was going to suffer in, in comparison to this genius <laughs> piece of we've got three dollars and a camera and a family let's make a fucking christmas movie <laughs> uh, i will stress we did not deliberately so did not watch feeders one as right. a group uh we none of us have watched feeders to lead us in which is good because halfway through feeders two you get nearly 10 minutes of feeders basically summing the entire movie up for you so you can ignore the first one is What's that the because second? of Silent Night, Deadly Night? I think it's just because they had the footage, basically. This was the Polonia Brothers, who um, are still making movies these days. Uh, this, this was 1998. It's 72 minutes long, and I repeat, nearly 10 minutes of that is rehashed footage of someone narrating what happened in the first movie, where two brothers went out into the wilderness and were attacked by aliens. And by aliens, I mean puppets. And by puppets, I mean what appears to be rubber balls with eyes on sticks and little spindly <laughs> twiggy arms. And they are the funniest fucking thing I'd seen all year. And I needed that for your laugh in 2021. Yeah. And this one's the Christmas movie. So basically we get to watch what appears to be home video footage of the Polonia family just getting ready for Christmas, including the two kids who I swear must have been his children, being force-fed the lines to regurgitate in some of the most awkward child acting I've seen in a long time. Oh, it is called Feeders. It's, yeah, they... they <laughs> 
Just say the line, Jimmy. Say the line, you don't get that. <laughs> I hope Santa will be here soon. And Santa does arrive here, and spoiler alert, he becomes a main character halfway through the movie, the real Santa, and gets to wield guns because Feeders 2 <sighs> is fucking insane. It's wonderful. Entertaining. So 72 minutes of you never really know what's going to happen, what's around the corner. You're not really sure that Mark Poloni, who wrote it and stars in it, knew what was coming around the corner. And sometimes it just feels like on the day they went, wouldn't it be funny if Santa got a gun and started shooting (laughs) the aliens? Let's do that. Uh, So I definitely recommend it if you're in the right mood. And by the right mood, I mean three beers deep on a Friday night with nothing to do the next day because it is a drunk watch movie. It is a serious drunk watch movie. If you try watching that as, as a serious, like, I'm going to watch this movie and, and analyse it, you're just going to be going, these people don't know which end of the camera they're pointing <laughs> at. They're lucky they got the shots alone. There's so many scenes where you just oh, kind of wow. go, they just kind of... My memory of it is something that really required... Alcohol? That, <laughs> well, that, that sort of collective sense of... Um, we're going to somehow survive this together as an audience. <laughs> we're going to get through this. We're looking out for each other. This has another hour, and I don't know how we're going to make it, but together we can get through it, kind of. I was live-tweeting so revisiting at home didn't strike me as a... I was, I was live-tweeting at a couple of beers in live-tweeting way, sending screenshots, and just oh. reveling in the reaction from my Twitter followers as they were coming back going, what on earth are you watching <laughs> and because of that I, oddly enough I ended up communicating with one of the Polonia Brothers current actors wow because I put a bunch of different movies from them and along came one of their actors and I forget his name unfortunately I have to look it up but um, he's been in uh, such movies as Jurassic Shark 2 and I did not realise <laughs> it was a sequel to the world's worst fucking shark movie that I have ever personally seen Jurassic Shark because Jurassic Shark is the only shark movie which goes can we get to the ocean fuck no we're in the middle of America Lake, lake is good. So, <laughs> that is 70 minutes of I'm going to gouge my own eyeballs. And in the words of one of the former B-Movie message board members I used to subscribe to in the 90s, quote, I wanted to rip my penis off and throw it at the screen in protest. <laughs> That's how bad Jurassic Shark is. But apparently he's in Jurassic Shark 2, so I hopefully he got at least a beach vacation out of it. So, um... <laughs> oh, wow. Lake beach vacation. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen the, um, the Christmas horror film Santa's Sleigh? The one with, um... We started watching it one year here and turned it off. Was that the one with, uh, Bill Goldberg? Or... Yeah, yeah. I think and I turned it off. Which, I think, oh, wow. Yeah, it was the one, because it was one that I programmed and I brought uh, that was the year we did elves and night of the hunter and i yeah uh, i forget it's what else so I, much and fun. we got 20 minutes into it and like yeah i don't know what was the deal was, was but none of us could handle no, it are you sure it wasn't santa with muscles santa with muscles definitely we turned off we killed santa with muscles that's another wrestler that was the hulk hogan yes hulk hogan. i think he may have Santa's sure slay is i feel like i've watched the start of it and we're right. just like oh i think Santa's we, I, slay starts with the demise of friend drescher and yeah. i mean yeah I, I, it's always got my eternal love <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that was the thing. I, I think I recall with Carr. us that it couldn't follow up that opening. Oh, maybe scene. that's what it was. Is that we're like, this is great, and then and then it died. Thirty minutes <laughs> later, we're like, this this is this is no longer. Yeah, <laughs> well, this, well, this used all its uh, potency. Happened. Yeah. Our, our blood fiend friend Margaret. Um, I showed this to her last year. 
And she absolutely lapped oh, it she up. She would have fucking lapped it. There's, yeah. there's Death by Menorah. There's... Um, no, the, not actually part of Christmas. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Sorry, George. Like, what is this out? We're not <laughs> discriminating <laughs> against you. Hang on. The, uh, the, the, the guy playing Santa is Bill Goldberg. Yeah. So it's... Um, so, yeah. yeah, so you've got so a Jewish he, guy yeah, playing he, Santa. Yeah, he has license. <laughs> <laughs> Two, oh, I see what you're saying. It's Bill yeah. Goldberg. Yeah. You're going to tell him not to? You can't do something? I'm going to no, yeah. You can't movie. kill me with Ooh, a menorah. Okay. Oh, hang on, you can. Yeah, you could kill me with a glance. Okay. It's, it's got Robert Culp in there playing the um, the old grandfather who uh, could possibly be an angel. Spoilers, but uh, it's um, it's just a heck of a lot of fun. It's just balls to the wall. Everything, uh, just throwing everything at the camera, and a lot of it sticks. And, and some of it sticks and then just sort of drips, yeah. <laughs> See, I mean, I do like good Christmas horror, and I, that's, that's why I, I, I detest all these romantic comedy ones that are coming that are getting yeah. all the money and just churning out the same one. It's like, okay, we'll do it with a Latino couple, we'll do it with a gay couple, we'll do it with a, we'll do it with a threesome. It's, you know, well, that's just Christmas orgy, the movie. I really but, want to do the audition yeah. of those where it's like, <laughs> seems like a normal movie for like the first 70 minutes and then like it ends with like somebody like having to cut themselves out off of the bear trap that they've been put into under the Christmas tree with, you know, with like an ornament you know, that they've had to shatter. <laughs> Or something, and then, like, and, and everybody's like, next year, yeah. <laughs> you know, and oh, then it's just wow. buried in the red and green Christmases, and it just says something like that, uh, an unforgettable. <laughs> oh, and you yeah. get to the end, like that title is technically accurate, <laughs> and yet um, definitely no one's forgetting that one. Green like that shit. Green, give them some money, New Zealand on here. Come on, I know you want to. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. If anyone want, I'll, I'll write it. If anyone wants to uh, yeah. I, mean, I, cool. I adore Krampus yeah Krampus I is, think is that's fun. just a lot I still haven't watched that one I still oh, haven't watched the I, other didn't I lend that to you Probably. No, I don't think so. Oh, must have been someone else. Yeah, yeah we all look the same. Probably some of the Americans. <laughs> some guy, some guy oh, with a beard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some guy who says middle age forties as a beard watches too many movies. Yeah. Uh, you know. Do you know any of those? <laughs> I better check out Actually, Mobby with mine. Yes. No, I don't have a beard. <laughs> but yeah, Crumpus have um, uh, Shout Factory have just bought out the um, the naughty cut of Crumpus. <laughs> um, mm. So it's got about. I think five minutes extra of nice. uh, more violence to things they didn't, um, and I um, have uh, purchased that from Amazon. It's just arrived. One of us for you is um, rare exports. Do you think that's worth watching? Because oh I mean, yes, it's a very good one. Yes. I've heard good things about that yeah. one. Yeah. Oh okay. Uh, yes, you should both see I that. See it's right. um, it's really well. Honestly, done. the I mean, a it's December twenty third now. Yeah. Um, and so there's not a lot of time. Yeah, this is Christmas and cramming, people. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the, the only yeah. the the Cram movie that I really <laughs> want to watch, um, which I saw in the, the cinema, and I haven't gotten back to, and I want to watch, but it's a matter of convincing my nephew that he wants to watch it is the Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh yeah. And I, I and I That's remember and I true. and I went as an adult because it came out probably when I was 19 or 20, and yeah. I went and saw it by myself because I'd seen every Muppet movie up to that point. Um, and I even saw Muppet Treasure Island and Muppet in Space in the theater by myself. And I think Muppets in Sp- or Muppets from Space is when I tapped out. But um, but uh, somebody reminded me on Facebook the other week that the beauty of a Muppet Christmas Carol is that it has a a list of actors from bow to stern, and every one of them plays it as if 
they are on Broadway doing it with real humans that are the greatest actors of all time instead of with Miss Piggy and Kermit and, Absolutely. and, and Michael Caine in particular. Yeah. As yeah. The, uh, I've, I just I've, watched I've, it I've, on the weekend again. I've uh, stated quite categorically on Twitter that I never, ever, ever have to watch another episode, uh, adaption of A Christmas Carol because I've seen so many of them and you cannot do different beats of that story even if you set it in space in the year 25. 38, it's still going to be a Christmas Carol. I've seen it. I'm bored shitless with it. I will watch them up a Christmas Carol at any time. Yeah. It doesn't have to be Christmas. Yeah. It is It is the pinnacle of that one. And, Absolutely. Uh, just, I mean, just even just the, the songs alone. That it's, story is number two for I don't understand why filmmakers feel compelled to revisit this every year. Because it's free. Number one, <laughs> which is for the same reason, is Peter Pan. Peter Pan, yeah. Like, it's every, domain, it seems like every filmmaker domain. is like, I think I'm going to make a Peter Pan movie now. Yeah. Like, what's the actual secret of Wendy? What if? It, what about the perspective of Hook? What about you know? Just like, what about Peter Pan? Isn't even that interesting of a story? And we're living in a world where nobody actually grew up, and people are just going to Spider-Man movies the whole time. I want to see a Peter Pan movie starring Michael Caine as Peter Pan. <laughs> oh my God! Come on, what? Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> Think of a beautiful thing. Happy thoughts. <laughs> he was only supposed to think of bloody happy thoughts. Wait, 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 I'm Australian. That's the worst Michael Caine ever. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Caine. I'm sure you can do worse if you try. Yeah, Michael Caine does a terrible you can Michael Caine fly, Wendy. Yeah, he does an amazing movie. Yeah. bestsellers does worse oh, yeah. than yeah. the Michael, Michael Caine, I've, I've heard week. footage of him saying, trying to do the impression of people doing it in My the same way. Nothing Michael like him. Not a lot of people know that. It's not <laughs> <laughs> it's isn't it they uh, people keep uh, it's um you say my cocaine my cocaine yeah my cocaine my cocaine <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right so what's your uh, putting christmas aside as as much as you want how can we your, do um, that what's your favorite new discovery of a film in the last month or so i'll start Ooh. with mine to give you guys a chance to think about that um i had a um i treated myself to uh, my brain breaking during lockdown by doing a big order from the Indicator Blu-ray label, which is a really terrific uh, UK-based label, and that showed up, and um, and it was it was actually worked out to a really great deal per disc. So I took chances on a lot of stuff, but the one that um, I'd been really curious about but never got around to seeing was the China Syndrome. Right, and oh. I um, yeah, and uh, I had thought. The China Syndrome was actually something completely different than what it was. Now, have you guys seen the China Syndrome? Probably thirty years ago no. on TV. Yeah, that was probably so the last time. I thought the China Syndrome was going to be a um, disaster movie. I thought it was going to be like the Andromeda Strain or something like that, which is the movie I was hoping it was going to be. But instead, it's an even better movie than, and I really love the Andromeda Strain. But instead of being a disaster movie, it's a combination of a conspiracy movie and a um, how-the-sausage-gets-made television movie. So uh, Jane Fonda is a reporter. Um, Michael Douglas is a bearded, cynical cameraman that go off and do go to do a story at a nuclear plant in California. And while they're there, something doesn't go quite right. Jack Lemmon's the guy on the floor um, who eventually makes... You know, it, it, it all winds up okay, but... It, everybody's like that probably shouldn't have happened the network who's 
you know, uh, happens to be owned by a company that has controlling interest in the stakes and the um, nuclear power company, because this is around the time that companies like General Electric started buying up television networks. So this is all very of the moment, uh, says, I think it'd be better if, you know, we just didn't do anything with that footage, you know, and, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it, it just um, was a, an amazing slow burn pressure cooker of a movie there was I, I think I get, I gave it five stars in retrospect there's one scene where it kind of overplays its hand a little bit where I felt like it could have just stated a certain level of heightened naturalism and then it goes into an all out um, let's drive this person off the road kind of action scene and it's just kind of like we probably could have played the malevolence a little more subtly but it's a minor detail. Um, I hadn't realized that Michael Douglas actually uh, produced once uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, oh. and that's um, and his. As I discovered when I was doing the research for this, his dad had originally bought the rights after he'd done this, done it as a stage play, but then could never figure out how to get it made as a film, and and so Kirk passed it on to Michael. Michael produced the film. And then suddenly became the most sought after producer in Hollywood and used that to get the China syndrome made. And um, yeah, and so there's there's all these interesting tie-ins to what, you know, I mean, the 70s in general, that's just my favorite era of filmmaking. And um, yeah, it's it's definitely one of those that was just, you know, kind of a name that I figured I'll catch up with sometime. That'll be three and a half stars. It'll be pretty good. And then I'll move on and it, it, you know it's and it, I don't know sometimes I have these runs of where I watch 20 or 25 films that I've been meaning to watch and it's like that's fine but if I I watch them it's fine but it's like if I didn't see that before I died it, it wouldn't have been a big deal you know I, I wouldn't uh-huh. have gone to the afterlife and somebody would have said well you know you should have seen that I'm like shh Shit, yeah, that would have been so good when I'm alive instead of now. <laughs> I mean, in theory, hopefully the, the cinema in the afterlife is better than what we have exactly. here. You know, that you remember, we go, oh, region locked to my country? What? <laughs> <laughs> region locked to this plane of cinema. Yeah. Um, indicator, most of their titles are all region, actually. So even, oh, nice. even better. So, uh, yeah, in terms of old discoveries, that's my favorite. The, um, the new one for anyone who has a movie, I'm just going to say the name. It's called The Accidental Luxuriance of the Transient Watery Rebus. And it is a one-person animation film that is beautiful and completely insane and is pretty much the film that I want to make, only more nuts. And it's for people who thought Visitor at the Museum is too straightforward. Awesome. Such a coincidence, because wow. that was my film. <laughs> Don't make me say what the title was. <laughs> you know, it just it just turned up on movie, and I'm just like, wow. I saw the still, and I saw the name, and I'm like, any movie with that title and that still gets three five minutes of my time, mm-hmm. and I just kept watching, and it's like actually the the film that I'm making right now uses some similar techniques of animation. This guy's has a much broader palette of animation techniques, and is much better than I am <laughs> but he's also trying to do other things with it as well but it's um, yeah it's what it's just yeah completely eye-popping beauty and um, and you, and it's also one of those that you can tell five minutes in like 
okay, no, I don't need to. This this is very much not me, and I will be like, yep, this is definitely not a film for everybody. This is not one of those that you go and shake lapels like, go see this. It's like, you probably already know just from having heard the title if you want to see it. What about you guys? Um, for Discovery, it's... I haven't seen a lot of... Have you been in of, comfort viewing? Um, of films, um, of new films. Um... Other than films I've seen in cinema, a lot of has been revisiting. Um, but I would have to say that the um, the new Bond was a real surprise. Yeah, it is... that was the first film we saw when lockdown ended. Oh wow, that must have been a bit traumatizing for you, just being <laughs> out in the cinema <laughs> and showing up to a film about an airborne uh, <laughs> plague. Whoops. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> Um, that wasn't in the PR. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it, it, it's a real surprise. This movie, mm. it, it, it's a very, it's a Bond who is the least misogynistic they've ever done, and yet, it's not like they are throwing the unmisogyny in your face. It's mm. it, it, he's he's a, a sort of. A, a bond with a um, who accidentally gets a family. It's um, there's he's not sleeping with randos. Yeah. He's had you had you watched all the rest of them in the lead up to it? I many many times. But, but I mean, I over lockdown, Spe- I, um, I did watch Spectre again, yeah. which was not one. I it was one I thought was okay, but. It turned actually, out to be sort of mandatory swatting for this one, yeah, actually. Absolutely. And that's that's my I, problem. I think I mentioned yeah. last time we recorded that I wasn't yeah. really interested in the latest Bond film because I'd have to go back and watch the previous one, which I didn't enjoy. I, uh, which actually, yeah. the second time... Well, sorry, it must be a third or fourth viewing, but uh, I didn't like it those times. Um, uh, but this time round, it, it actually was much more palatable. It was... Um, it worked for me a lot better, which was good because the um, No Time to Die was just... Yeah, it was a real surprise. It's... Um, I don't... It's never... It, my favourite of the Daniel Craig Bonds is definitely the um, Javier Bardem one I can never... Skyfall? Skyfall. Yeah. I think Because that just has that sort of old, worldy Bond feel to it including the villain and I thought this villain was unfortunately one of the weakest also I couldn't understand half of what he was saying because he was whispering most of the time ah, yes but he also doesn't appear for a really long time either. Well, which is good yeah. he doesn't have many exposition scenes because it's uh, excuse me what was that what? you need what? to have subtitles <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, I, yeah I mean we watched all four of them in the what we thought was going to be the lead up to the November release, <laughs> and and uh, it was a really great experience. Did we talk about this? You on mean the, the April podcast release? Last time? I think we no the November the, release because oh when, right. yeah when, yeah, uh, yeah the November twenty twenty one release, oh, not the yeah, April yeah. twenty twenty release that there was originally oh, going to be. Yeah. By the way, Kingsman coming out soon in twenty twenty two, which was <laughs> once coming out soon in twenty nineteen. Yeah, in a while, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, watching all four of them back to back was a really interesting experience, and and because also having scattered another couple Bond viewings through that time, the extent to which Bond really was a you go into a new Bond movie with just fresh eyes and like whatever happens happens, and 
you leave and there's no real continuity from movie to movie. And so to have done this really ambitious five episode arc. Mm. And so I don't think that No Time to Die is going to go down as one of the great Bond standalone movies. Mm. I think it is the perfect summation to that arc. And um, sorry, I'm getting really emotional actually. <laughs> wow. Because um, the ending of the film just yes. really yeah. hit. And uh, yeah, I think. Um, and also, like, if you look at the amount of time that those other films were made over, you know, mm. it's... Um, well, that's it. It's... Um, how many years? It's, it's been 2006. So Casino Royale came out in 2006. And that's actually still films. my favorite, despite a couple mm. issues I have with it. That's a tell. This is exposition. But, you know, <laughs> it's still there. And it has some of the... Be- I mean, to introduce Bond, like, going against a parkour guy, and to show him running through a drywall, I mean, it... Yeah, yeah. Action demonstrated or character demonstrated through action just doesn't get better than that. Oh no, yeah. that that opening Absolutely. sequence. I mean, yeah. as I, I'm not a fan of these the, the whole series, but that opening sequence had yeah. to come from this is amazing. Yeah, and, and I love the first one. And yeah. and Quantum actually plays so much better if it's like you realize it starts a half hour after Casino Royale yeah. finishes, mm-hmm. and is actually all about not resetting the clock, but is actually about the emotional fallout, and that you have a Bond girl who is not a Bond girl, she's another damaged person, you know? Um, Hmm. Anyway, but yeah, so... Yeah, it's just... It's uh, trying not to say too much about it. It's... um, Other than it's very good. It really is. It's... um, Well, here's a a good example. I was in a, um, a a fairly unfull cinema... But there were um, four chatty people in the front. Um, So in the trailers, they were chatting. In the first couple of minutes of the movie, they were chatting. And then all of a sudden, they weren't fucking chatting. Yeah. Because the film had completely taken them. Because it does have a kind of a quiet opening that is all of a sudden not quiet. And it's... um, and it's just yeah it's really well done great actors well served it's um, everyone is looked after I think Um, Remy Malek was a bit meh for me unfortunately but a lot of that is uh, maybe if I watch it with subtitles uh, (laughs) I will enjoy more of his performance because I will have understood what he fucking said (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, it's a. It was a surprise because I was, I I liked Spectre, but to me that is damning with faint praise. Yeah. Liking a Bond film is not what you should be doing. It's um, um, so I I had fairly low expectations for this one. I think seeing the um, being James Bond thing as well that kind of talks about the whole background about the problems that they had with all those movies and particularly how injured Craig was on Spectre where you know he actually had a broken leg and that whole like and oh. they were and they were like well we can stop this now but it means we have to put it off for a year and he just powered through it and so like that opening single take in oh, Spectre yes. with you know him going on that rooftop and the failed seen assa- this fascination well, you have no, I've seen Spectre and yeah. yeah and 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 it's just such a and yeah and and 
and you can tell he's not enjoying himself, but you didn't. It's only knowing why he's not enjoying himself, mm. and it's not just like I'm sick of being bummed and I'm a big grump and I want to be doing real acting. <laughs> it's like my leg is broken, and <laughs> if I quit because my leg is broken, like ugh, all these people are out of a job and we don't know mm. when things are going to go again. So I'm just gonna get through this again and I have a director that wants to do everything in a single take and I'm too stubborn to um, use stunt doubles and so <laughs> I don't think that would be fun well, <laughs> one of the know. worst things uh, for me for Spectre um, is correct is, well not corrected but it's uh, I I hated the fact that Blofeld was somehow magically um, Bond's brother Right. It's I just, literally don't even remember that. that well, <laughs> that's, that's right. It's, I, I think that's that's the whole like they've done this whole thing of like kind of bringing all this continuity into this Bond yeah. world, and I kind of hope whatever they do next is just the complete opposite of that. It's kind of like that they that we don't have to have everything be a callback. That we don't have to well that's do this thing. world building. That we just go for it. Now it's the I, I mean again without spoiling they've now. They've left it in a place where they can basically do whatever they want, cast whatever gender or whatever they want, and do it's they've got a complete play a clear playing blank slate, clear playing field. They can do whatever they want and everyone it's those who like Bond will probably still come back anyway. But then I, I have think. the perfect next James Bond and it's Peter Serafinowicz. <laughs> <laughs> he could do it. He could do impressions of all the other Bonds while he's doing oh, it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> right, shall we? What was your favourite yeah, discovery? What about yours? You, you yeah, my I've got picked up my iPod here because I'm looking at Letterboxd because I've actually got about three <coughs> favourite new discoveries since we last met and I'll only mention a couple briefly by name and then talk about the one I want to talk about. Because I decided, since it was going to be obviously a bit of a break, we just decided amongst ourselves we were going to try and do another, you know, Zoom record because they were shit. Um, I mean, you know, the, the recording was great. It's just the sounding of it of me was shit. And so, I also just don't like as much the kind of delay yeah, and not delay. knowing, so, you know, cutting each other yeah. off. I mean, uh, we're yeah, not over each other. Interrupting. Wait, what? You muted. You muted. So I decided to watch a few atypical films for me. Um, Ooh. And really fucking enjoyed quite a lot of them. Uh, the Lighthouse, uh, <gasps> which is on Netflix, was phenomenal. Oh yeah, just a two-hander, black and white, slow-paced, pretty Seen much the opposite of what you'd expect me to amazing. see. But really, really good. And Willem Dafoe is just fucking give him all the awards, just share him and Oscars because that was fucking amazing. Oh, and he is awesome in Spider-Man. Yes. Way. Oh, I hear that too. Yeah. It's in fact, it's. Uh, I just learned yes um, before I saw the movie. Um, which was last night uh, that um, the the filmmakers approached him to appear in the film and he said he wouldn't do it uh, he, w- he wasn't going to appear in the cameo so they basically changed what they'd done and put him front and centre well, not only stuff. that but he would only appear if he got to do his own stunts I wow. didn't read yeah. that bit. so he's like I'm not just going to like show up and say a couple lines in front of a green screen and let an actor do everything wow. or let a stuntman do everything else because it's all about the physicality of well, it. Well, now I realize kind of even thing. more I admire him for his performance. And, and with both him and Andrew, uh, um, uh, Alfred Molina, excuse me, um, so the um, Irishman style 
de-aging that they've yes. done on them is is it's just wow. I think it's a combination of, of that actually a lot of the color grade they've done a lot of this. I mean, I, I feel like sorry we've hijacked. The, no, no, no. Tom that's, Holland that's often <laughs> looked more plasticky than any of the yes, others. Yes, I'd agree. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. I, if if this gives him the money to go off and do another, because is Willem Dafoe in the new Robert Eggers film, The Northman? Yes, yes, he is. I've seen the yeah. trailer. It's um, wow. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's he's been an actor for so long. You again expect a great performance out of him, but in the Lighthouse Minute is literally basically a play with these two guys. It's it's a phenomenal performance. The other new discovery which I literally stumbled across I think on Prime Video and just went fuck it and press play. Nineteen thirty six version of The Last of the Mohicans. And wow. it was really fucking good. And Ooh. it's I watched it because I'm a, such a fan of the Michael Mann yeah. one. And I want to see how something sixty or fifty years earlier would compare. And there's lines that are obviously from the book that are directly I'd love to hear movies. the 1930s version <laughs> of that theme. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite as sweeping and majestic, but it was a really good film, so I can recommend that. I think Who, it's public domain. Um, is it Mar- Frederick March? Or uh, Las Vegas. There's a net one. Let me just uh, b- 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 bring that up. And remind myself, who I wasn't going deep into. I'll go to film. There we go. What do you say on your letterbox? It is Randolph Scott. Oh, Randolph, Randolph Scott. Scott. Yes, Randolph Scott. <laughs> <Benny> <laughs> Where's the geeks? And Bruce Cabot's in there as well. There's a few names I recognise from oh, the 30s. Great. But that was, I thought, really, really good. Oh, wow. Okay. And then the ones that really would be atypical for what I've talked about on this podcast, because one of them doesn't have a ninja in it. Uh, I went from <laughs> ninjas to samurai uh, with The Hidden Fortress. Oh, Kurosawa. Yes. And atypical for me because, one, it's it's... An amazing film that doesn't have ninjas in it, and it's uh, three, and, and, C3 three and a bit hours long. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, normally I'm a ninety minute guy because I don't have the fucking time. Because especially at this mm-hmm. stage of the year, I work in alcohol. It's close to Christmas. My I've really done the last couple of months fucking tough. I've yeah. had breakdowns at work literally for the first time ever in my working career because the stress has been. How so is the high. whole post vax? The post-vaccine thing's fine because we have just done the same thing because we've been open the whole time. We haven't right, required yeah. vaccine passports, but uh, we know people are over having to put masks on. We know people are over having to, in the time, queue up to get in there. Oh, and cool. here's a hint. So are we. We're fucking over it more than you are. Yeah. And you we have don't to need wear to the mask the whole time. I've, I've been wearing a mask eight and a half hours a day yeah. or yeah. longer for 16 weeks now, and it's after about 15 weeks of that with some of the busiest times we've ever had in our store. Yeah. It is... Yeah, I'm looking forward to a couple of weeks <laughs> up next Skeets, year. Skeets, that's Real nothing. Fun. I had to sit and watch a three-hour movie about um, about folk horror. <laughs> <laughs> in a theatre, an air-conditioned... It's with, with a mask on for three, <laughs> three hours. hours. Feel oh, my pain! He couldn't get popcorn in or anything. He's pouring in a mask. Feel up, my like pain! But Hidden Fortress, so it is Kurosawa. <laughs> yeah. It was the inspiration for Star Wars 1 of the 2, along with Flash Gordon. And... and in, incredibly intense performance as usual by Toshiro Mifune. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, that guy, if he ordered a hamburger for me, I'd just be like, run out the back. Like, I'm Jimbo? not serving him. The Yojimbo, I haven't. I think I have a couple oh, of them lined up. We have to watch Yojimbo. I have not seen Yojimbo. Um, there's, I, I grabbed a couple of different Kiwasaros and I've kind of queued them up yeah. in the, the very, very long list. Yojimbo uh, is the... Uh, Fistful of Dollars. Sounds yeah. like a 70s yeah, yeah. sitcom, doesn't it? <laughs> Yo, Jimbo! Jimbo. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, I think uh, Kurosawa leads to my favourite nerdiest joke in, uh, in The Simpsons of all time. 
Which, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, homie, you like Rashomon. Was it Rashomon? Yes, yes, yeah. You yeah. Like Rashomon. That's not That's how, how I remember, I remember it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I mean, for Homer to make it. But the one I do want to talk about is once again atypical for me, and I actually had to turn this one into a miniseries because it's three and a quarter hours long. Uh, Sholei. Oh, cool. Which is I've been meaning to watch that. The but, Bollywood yeah. Once Upon a Time in the West. Oh, it's from 1975. Uh, basically, uh, made megastars for life from its cast and uh, director. And I mentioned to one of the guys at work who is from India, and he when I said the, the title, he just went, "Oh my god, that's not just a a big film in India. That's a legend." I feel like Everyone it's Wizard of Oz gone with the wind, it kind is, of like it is really and it's yeah. I've never heard of this movie. Amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. A three and a quarter sure. hour song, and I said to him, my uh, so at work. three hour movie about Madame Chauvet. No, no. Right? <laughs> um, the Womble. No, definitely not. Right. I, so, I said to him, you know, three and a quarter hour song, and he said, yeah, that's because we both said together the musical numbers. And there's <laughs> quite a few musical numbers, and they're really good. There's a couple, maybe, that could be considered disposable, but there's one on the, the Festival of Colours, which is just ridiculous choreography and oh, an amazing cool. song. And the comedy because sometimes you watch a Bollywood comedy and the comedy is very broad and there is a very broad character who's basically a Mr. Bean type character and he's fucking funny as hell but for a moment it kind of broke my brain because there's the character the two main characters are kind of dressed like they're in from the 70s but it's in rural India so it looks like it's from the 1890s which is where the kind of the, the, the western bit comes in and the action sequences are ridiculous the amount of stuntmen falling off horses and just about maiming themselves going down you know plummeting off off things is crazy um the plot is fantastic and even the length i literally i did stop and turn into a miniseries because halfway through of course up came the words intermission i went i can go do a few (laughs) things i'll come back to this one and ended up actually watching the rest the next day because i just ran out of time being me but um, and this is a western it's a it's a a bollywood western wow and it is highly recommended and it's um i think it was on on one of our streaming services here I think it's either on Prime yeah I think, I think it's, it's on, on Prime, Prime. Yeah, Amazon yeah, Prime yeah. So, oh, brilliant so oh, if you got Prime which I know all of us have you can my only excuse has been the runtime, but I yeah. need to get past it because I'll definitely like have watched two hour and a half movies that aren't going to be as good as yeah. Cholet well that's is, the um, thing is how many films do we miss out on because of the length I mean I've, I've had, been sitting on Saragossa Manuscript for ages and I so want so, to see it oh, I saw that in and the I cinema know, I knew and, uh, you would yeah. like it yeah, um, well, yeah, but it's what four hours. Well, but Bahubali as well. So Bahubali is a recent um, action spectacular, and I don't know if you've seen the trailers for RRR. I you mentioned that on Twitter the other day, and yeah. I just looked up. I didn't look at the trailer. I just looked at the synopsis, and I went, "Ooh, watch the trailer because." It is, or don't watch the trailer. It comes out seventh of January, and I think we should probably do a ludicrously specific field trip to it Ooh. because <laughs> it is just um, Bahubali. All my friends have been been like, "You have to see this bloody movie." I'm like, "I know, but it's in two parts, and it's combined four and a half hours." They're like, "Look, it just, it is one of the best action movies ever made." Right, and and it just Indian full set. yeah, and it's like, yeah, it's not photorealistic, but. What is these days? No, uh, you know, it just it just you know which, which tropes of non-realism do you want to roll with? You know, and do we need to see Bahu Bali before we see? Unrelated, R&R same R&R. director, but R R R is totally a thing unto itself. 
Rest, rinse, yeah. and relax. Just, just having a look. Yeah. At, I saw a couple of stills and I read a synopsis and I went, this sounds like our jam, basically. Yeah, I, 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 I saw the trailer and I'm just like, they're putting all that in a movie because it was just like, it was just two and a half minutes of drop dead action scenes across like 50 different, well, you know, it's not just that kind of thing where, you know, they've cut together like stuff and it's going to be 15 minutes of the movie and not represent the rest of it. It's just like, how do you fit all that into a single film? Well, so, yeah, long suppose, films. Suppose <laughs> True that, yeah. that, there is that barrier with three hour, four hour movies, but why don't we just break them in half? Watch but also, it. like, why. Watch two hours here. Yeah. Why is there that here. barrier? A, because, like, I've seen a bunch of movies, I've caught up with almost everything that's out, and so many of them are 160 minute movies anyway, like No Time to Die, 160 minutes, Dune, 160 yeah. minutes. Um, uh, the Matrix, um, Matrix hun- hundred and fifty minutes. Great. The oh, Matrix Resurrections ooh, ooh. is my favorite Matrix movie. Ooh, nice. I will say that. I will, in defense, I will say that the first Matrix movie. I'm like, I I came out a little more cynical than everybody else, and I was like, it's ripping a lot of stuff off. I revisited it and I enjoy it a lot more. And actually, I, I probably would say like in terms of, it is. I mean, it, it's groundbreaking. It's unrepeatable. Um, the Matrix Resurrections if you're asking yourself how can there be a Matrix 4 and what could it have to say this movie actually interrogates that question internally in the text this this movie um, has a scene where the lead character who's a computer programmer and is trying to um, get past the success of his last game um, that was called The Matrix and that became famous is struggling with a game called Binary. And if you know the gender journey that the uh-huh. filmmaker has been on, uh-huh. that is now, it's like every other Matrix movie where there's too many talky scenes and the action scenes look kind of similar. Um, soggy middle, but the first half hour, the f- hour and the last 40 minutes definitely the most fun I've had in a cinema since lockdown. Wow. I'm not ready to say the most fun I've had in a cinema all year, but I, a counterfactual isn't coming to mind. So, yeah, it's... I had no... And I had no... I mean, look, I mean, we, we were going to rewatch the trilogy. I'd actually never seen the third one. Um, and I had it... I recommend it. No, well, the thing is, the second one was so bad. It's, this is a yeah. difficult story, but I'm going to share it. Um, I had a friend die who... Um, and his wife... Um, and it happened like a month before Matrix Resurrections came out. And my friend's mm-hmm. name Lone Wolf. His wife was Scout. Um, I met Scout at the funeral. And we and Scout and I wound up going to see Resurrections tomorrow. Uh, together. Uh, not Resurrections. Uh, excuse me. Reloaded. 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 The second one. And, and she was a very um, cynical person. And she was like... Well... I'm glad Lone Wolf died because it would have killed him to see that. <laughs> 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 you know? wow. and, and so um, we, um, when we put on, we, when we went to go, I'm like, we're going to go through the trilogy now. We're going to go through, you know, it's like we've had, we've had the time to let expectations settle. And we got 45 minutes in and we got to that interminable, like, cave rave slash <laughs> fucking <laughs> scene. And we're like, <laughs> we are not doing this. So I've still, we read, we read a plot summary for the third one 10 minutes before going in, which was helpful. There's still probably lots of stuff I missed. I'm, I'm going to say one thing about the, the trilogy, because I have watched the original at least mm. ten times, maybe mm-hmm. a dozen. Yeah. I've watched the second one at least half a dozen times, and even I admit, it's got some problems. The middle bit is talky as fuck, yeah. but the finale is fantastic. I'm, I forgive it all of its flaws. Mm. I've seen 
revolutions twice. Yeah. And they were, I believe, at least seven or eight years between viewings. Wow. Every time that I've gone to do the, the, the trilogy, I've watched the first, I've watched the second, I've looked at my DB or my Blu-ray now of the third and just gone, I've got other things I could do today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who has seen at least 30 Godfrey Ho films. Yes. <laughs> I've been cranking up a lot. Stranded. Fucking new. It's just, it is, it's a, it's a big time commitment to something where you kind of go, yeah, you got a little obvious at the end there with the metaphors. But, um, yeah. yeah. It's, and it, wow. On the, and I saw it on the giant screen and it was, it's so hard to take in and it's easier, yeah. I think, on the smaller screen. But there's so much happening, and it's kind of like um, I can't remember. I don't think it was 3D, but it was probably pre-3D revolution. But I saw the there's a lot. I saw the first one, and yeah, I've seen that probably ten times. Yeah, I've seen the second one once or twice. I've seen the third one once. I saw the second and third one. You think I would have learnt from the second um, <laughs> at midnight. Both of those, walking out of the third one at two in the morning, wondering, what did I see? And why would the thing with the sitting and, and the, the talking and, and, and the, 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 all those things flying up? And the, yeah. the Jesus and the what? I, I haven't oh. seen a midnight premiere <laughs> since uh, Attack, uh, sorry, um, Phantom Menace. I wouldn't suggest seeing this one so at midnight, <laughs> but it it is... Um, it's super fun. It doesn't quite have the. Um, I, I know that you saw Spider Man. You haven't seen Spider Man. No, my I son see. has, so I'll probably catch up on that later. Right. But so we're definitely, very, we're definitely going to the, next, the next animated one because we love Spider Verse. Yeah. So, yeah. so Spider Man is very finely crafted fan service, and even in the critic screening I saw, there were like bits of applause in this, like <laughs> under, you know, because we had an overflow theater that wasn't that. Even by COVID maximum Ultimate standards, Spider Verse is better. I think. But, but there are some really well yeah. executed fan service moments, and but I think this just has, it, as opposed to expertly executed IP exploitation that you know scratches people's comfort boxes. What the Matrix does is so far beyond anything that Spider Man's even trying to do, and so so like audacious and fun I mean it just yeah oh, it's nice. yeah I just want to go on record that I don't let films scratch my comfort box <laughs> it's, uh, they have to ask first oh they cool. have to they buy have me chocolates <laughs> right, before we roll well, into, I've got some Rolos here right. now before we roll into 1964 because I think we should film. probably start thinking about should, yeah. I want to do a one line question and this is since oh, we are at the end of the film from, no, did no, you get all three no and Shole was the one I want oh, to talk about Shole right. is and all I can say about it is go see it because I can't describe a three and a quarter hour long Bollywood film in depth because we don't have that fucking time today um, <laughs> but I want to have the one liner because we are at the end of the year and we quite often we do a wrap up film but right. 2021 I guess we probably didn't see a lot of movies in the cinema for obvious fucking reasons but what was your number one 2021 movie because Pig. I can tell you mine Pigs no Pig question uh, probably I, you're just talking 2021 releases 2021 that we saw releases. in the cinema yeah. so in the cinema yeah, or saw in anything like I saw mine on streaming I actually, so Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched is the only one I gave five stars to. I saw that online, and I think I benefited from 
seeing that at two o'clock in the afternoon with a cup of coffee, oh, um, and and just letting my brain kind of go blue, 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 and it's and it going so above expectations. It's where so good. It, it's re- it's yes, really I, good. But I I feel like talking to some of the people who saw it in the cinema here. I think sitting down at seven thirty to a three a three plus it's, hour. It's hard. I was it, desperate it, to see it, but I could not. And I'm I've got the box coming as too so many of us assuming that it <laughs> mine's actually disappeared from tracking, but. Um, Oh, shit. <laughs> so I'm a little nervous. Yeah. But yeah, what's and yours? Mine, nobody. I finally got to see yeah. nobody, and nobody kicked momentous amounts of ass and face at the yes. same time. And holy <laughs> shit, Christopher, Christopher Lloyd, Lloyd for is, the win. Oh, he's having the most fun I've seen him oh. in many years. So yeah, that's that's definitely what's up there. I quite like Gunpowder Milkshake as well, which has been getting very middling Ooh. reviews. Very middling reviews, but I don't. I think it's a I film that you just too. go into. Yeah, and yeah. you don't have to. I mean, <laughs> everyone's entitled to their own wrong opinions. But <laughs> the couch is divided. I will. I will admit, probably in a month's time, I only. Yeah, well, accidental reasons. luxuriance of the transient watery rebus. <laughs> and I can't even say that. I, I, I think it's one of those films that in a month's time I'll be struggling right. to remember what actually happened in it. But at the time I watched it. It was perfect, 2021. Put your brain slightly back mm. into neutral and kick back movies. I really quite enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah. But it wasn't as good as nobody. nobody but, and we've talked about Pig before, but man, it's just amazing. The one film, um, there's so there's two films that would have been at that level that I reviewed for the um, film festival uh-huh. and wrote things for that never got to screen yeah. here because no film festival this year. But um, The Killing of Two Lovers which is a oh, drama, yes, uh, American drama, that is um, just phenomenally executed uh, marriage falling apart intensity of that kind of... I actually sort of consider it not entirely divorced from Pig. It doesn't have sort of the same weird pleasures that Pig does, um, but it exists in sort of an emotionally really intense kind of Ooh. similar digging into really ugly stuff about relationships and things. Isn't that and the guy from Lethal Weapon TV show? Chase Crawford or something? Or? I haven't seen Lethal Weapon TV show. No, neither um, have I. The, <laughs> other, the other one is uh, Quo Vadis Aida, which may yet get a theatrical release. I don't know. I don't think it's playing in the shade, but it's um, set in the 90s during um, um, the massacre at Srebrenica. Um And it is... One of the most powerful anti-war films I've, or I mean, it's not even a war; it's just literally a fucking massacre. Um, but the, yeah, it's it's very difficult to make those films. I think, and kind of, um, you know, where they're going, and to maintain the tension and maintain the drama of it, and not just have it be, um, you know, a a unendurable chunk of misery. But also, kind of structuring all the structuring it around characters who have to make difficult choices, knowing that all those choices lead to the grave. Um, wow! Yeah, it's it's really extraordinary, and so hopefully um, that plays. I mean, obviously, there's a few films that played uh, ends if in Wellington that I'm looking forward to seeing it in the shade, and um, especially the sadness and memoria. Um, so, yeah. We'll see. I suppose with Pig, for me, it's it was a film that I felt, and I'm 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 sure I told you at the time I felt genuinely warm towards mm. at the end. It was, and it's not an easy movie in any mm. respect. But there's just 
it made me feel excited about cinema, excited yeah. about Nicolas Cage's career <laughs> and where it could possibly go. Yeah. Well, and have you seen the trailers coming up for Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cage? I have avoided it as much as I've I possibly can because it's already right. got my money. I right. got blindsided as it popped up as a the YouTube ad. Of, the uh, massive yeah, weight of unbearable talents, yeah, I think I, it is. It yeah. blindsided me as a YouTube ad and I just sat there for the first time ever not skipping a YouTube ad going, really, we're doing a JCVD with Nicholas Cage? Where do I give you my money? <laughs> well, that's it. It's, um, I've, I've gotten to a point now, It's and I used to watch trailers all the time, but I've gotten to a point where if I'm already wanting to see the movie why do I need to see yeah. the trailer yeah. I'm already excited right. about it I'm yeah. already they've Ticket got my booked. money yeah. let's, let's it's more about the things that I don't care about too much have or... you seen the trailer for the new Michelle Yeoh film Oh, yes, Okay, well, the, you make a hypocrite out of it. No, well, no, because I didn't like Swiss Army Man very much. <laughs> oh, I and loved it. So I wasn't we sold on this. Oh, yeah. I love it. But I, um, yeah, at no, Christmas. <laughs> it's not really a Christmas movie. <laughs> it's just you and well, I. It's but it's, you know, <laughs> in its own weird way. <laughs> Speaking of resurrection, uh, <laughs> that's Easter. I keep forgetting oh, that. I, I, I think I'm just, yeah, I used to be a Christian, I swear. <laughs> I used to know what happens what time of year well, oh, well. I think the keywords there are used yes but yeah. that was a long I'm married time ago to a long time ago like 1964 yeah. segway oh nice <laughs> wow I'm going to say it in there but anyway shit out of I had to self high five myself on that yes. one yes <laughs> right so what, we did. Did. so what are we doing seven movies uh, sorry seven movies three movies from 1964 with seven I'm sure we'll have started. four others mentioned yes, by the end yes exactly why well because um for default reasons that is my favourite year <laughs> his default favourite year there was a clash of favourite years between Doug and Darren they both went for the same one and so Darren graciously stepped aside and went I'll go with my other favourite year because That's he's got it. lots absolutely and the, I mean 64 is just a banner year really there's um, I'm surprised was... you mentioned Marnie because that's not a film that I ever here talked about as that much as one of the greats and I haven't seen it it's well let's talk about Marnie it's <laughs> um, Alfred Hitchcock for those who don't know it stars Hitch Hitch so you he sounds like <laughs> a French director oh my god they're trying to be funny <laughs> <laughs> you missed this I missed this so much but it's um it's is it Tippy Hedren? I think it's or J- Janet Lee. It's one of those and Sean Connery. Yeah, and it's an incredibly adult movie, an incredibly adult take on a um, a kleptomaniac. Basically, she's into thievery um, and Sean Connery. Um, <laughs> As you would be, <laughs> um, uh, but has lots of sexual hang-ups, and they go on to explain why, and and um, it's just it's just a it's yeah, it's a very different take on things, and it's um, yeah, it's a beautiful looking right. film. It's uh, have you seen money? If no, no, that's why I'm not trying to be like yeah. And you've not I'm, seen it. Either. I don't. It's, it's, it's literally I'm sitting in that Hitchcock box set. That yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've seen a trailer fairly recently. I think I just on a, 
uh, compilation sometime when I was watching. But yeah, there's some just some beautiful um, moments, set pieces, but the end comes down to um, quite strange for for Hitchcock. Comes down to talky revelations, right? But it works because it's powerful and it it hits. It's um, yeah. I describe both Vertigo and Rope in that way. I think. Oh, well, rope definitely because mm. it was. The I mean, I guess everything in rope is talking. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. It's, yeah. But yeah, Marnie is just amazing. Um, you've got uh, two very, very great Peter Sellers performances in Doctor Strangelove and A Shot in the Dark, which is basically the film that sets up the Pink Panther world going okay. ahead because the first Pink Panther film which was only the year before um, that was uh, David Niven was the lead basically and um, the Peter Sellers Inspector Clouseau uh, was basically just a supporting character and um, but they um, but Peter Sellers and Blake Edwards got on very well together that didn't last, but they got on very well together at the time, and um, and uh, the and his character was very popular. So they um, there was a stage play came up, and they sort of repurposed this this thriller comedy thing and um, shoved um, Inspector Clouseau in there. At the same time, they um, hired Herbert Lom as Inspector Dreyfus, um, so and set up Bert Kwok. So all these, all the main things, so Cato, and um, also the uh, the other inspector that helps um, Herbert Lom's character. So they were all set up in that. So one. Cato's in the Pink Panther. But no, is, sorry, I think Cato's not in the Pink Panther. No, this all happened in Shot in the Dark. Sorry, all set but up. is in that universe. Yes. But it, that's not the Kato from the Green Hornet, or it is? I'm, I'm kind of oh, ignorant no, about this Oh, no, it's not. Um, no, no, no. Okay. Very different Kato. Okay. And, and fa- is it Kato? It's Kato. Definitely Kato. Yeah, I was always confused Kato. about that, too, because I was kind yeah, of... I, never, I actually never made the connection. I just actually never really understood the Pink Panther movies, full stop, because... Like I was like the Pink Panther. That's a cute animated Pink Panther. <laughs> but actually, they're also like Diamond Heist it's movies. It's a diamond, yeah. And I think I watched one when I was eight years old. I'm like, I just don't even understand. Yeah. And I haven't touched the Pink Panther in any form since. Yeah, because you're confused out with the the animated titles, and then the Pink Panther turns up in the animated end credits, and the rest and is the, about yeah, stealing the Pink an Panther diamond. And entire cartoon yeah. series was yeah. created from a two minute opening of the first movie right so it's literally just like we made this diamond heist movie and there's an animated character in the credits so let's make a whole yeah. cartoon universe out of yeah absolutely and, wow. and in the second one they have uh, IP uh, exploitation not a new thing as it turns out <laughs> no, oh, no, George Sanders is in this one uh, Brett Eklund and it's basically uh, Peter Sellers um is called in to a, um, a murder at a um, at a, a French mansion, and um, he instantly falls in love with Britt Eklund, who is so very clearly the killer, or to everybody else's eyes, is definitely the killer, and yet Peter uh, Inspector Clouseau cannot see it. <laughs> 
and it is hilarious. It is just, it is by far my favourite Pink Panther film, and I have seen it so many times. I mean, but that's, I keep getting caught up on talking about movies, <laughs> but I mean, there's there's the pawnbroker in there, there's Quaidan. Oh, I haven't seen the pawnbroker, I've heard it's great. Quaidan, I can yeah, vouch for. Pawnbroker is just shattering. Uh, you haven't mentioned Carry On Spying yet. Yeah, I was going to mention that actually, because a uh, nice callback there. <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't mentioned Carry On Cleo in Karen. the same year, which same year. is arguably much, much the, better, yeah. the best. It still holds up really well. Carry On it's, movie. It's definitely dated as shit, but at times mm-hmm. it's not dated like Carry On Spying. Infamy, infamy, they all have it infamy. Yeah, yeah. also Mothra vs. Godzilla and Ghidra. Agadora the three headed monster in the same year. Hard Day's Night. Yeah. My Fair Lady. Uh, Goldfinger, as you mentioned. There's a Fistful of Dollars, for fuck's mm. sake. Uh, nice. Failsafe. Kitten with a Whip. Failsafe is so good. Yeah, um, I mean, it's. Uh, there's just. Uh, the Pumpkin Eater, which I've never gotten to but really want to. Uh, Seance on a Wet Afternoon, which Haven't is seen. Richard Attenborough. Um, creepy, thrillery, killery thing. There's um, there's just so much good films. There's um, Ma- that man from Rio, which is um, uh, uh, Jean Paul Belmondo. Oh, right. There's yeah. did you mention Lady in a Cage? Lady in a Cage was there. Uh, Kitten with a Whip uh, definitely was there. It was Lady in a Cage the same year. Apparently, oh, yeah. That's, it's, on, yeah. it's on my list. Is this sixty four? I do like that movie. It's um, yeah. Umbrellas of Sherberg as well. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, Ron. Yeah. Oh, the Naked okay. Kiss with Samuel Fuller. Oh, that's it's huh. a good year. It's a good. It's no nineteen eighty seven, but it's a good year. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, there's a film called Black Sun that I watched recently. That's um, by Koryoshi Kurahara. There's a um, Criterion had the side label called Eclipse for films that weren't popular enough to be released on Criterion. So that gives you a sense to begin with. And so they put out five films by um, Koryoshi Kurahara, and it's about this. Um, Japanese kind of drunk crazy guy who's really into jazz and kind of living homeless and winds up um, taking in this American GI who's on the lam um, who's black and like kind of is convinced that like how great he is because he's black and all these jazz musicians are black. It's really intense and problematic and they're just uh, uh, yeah it's a, it's a really terrific strange film in, in post-war Japan that um, is worth checking out. Oh, Blood and Black Lace, Mario Bava. Yeah. Oh, and um, getting back to the Christmassy, um, there is uh, Santa versus the Martians. (laughs) And I can't hate that movie. It's so stupid. And the perennial (laughs) favorite, which is only fifty-two minutes long, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. One of my favorite war movies, and I'm not a huge war movie fan. Six Three Three Squadron. Oh, wow. Which is also 64. 63 Squadron, I saw, I think, when I was probably in my early teens. It was one of the first movies that I probably ran across on a Saturday, and I've loved it ever since. And I think I played it one time to open a 24-hour marathon here, and I think it still holds up really well. Oh, cool. Yeah. The Gorgon, Tomb of Ligeia, Beckett, they're all great films. And hit after hit after hit. And Zulu. <laughs> Michael Caine's first movie. Oh, his first movie. His first, his first lead, uh, starring. Oh, okay. well, yeah, he'd, yeah. he'd had like two minute appearances and that type of thing, but as actual having lines and uh, yeah, Zulu, which uh, he plays an upper class twit. Um, it's 
And it's it's that's um, Stanley Baker who um, is a great lead actor type, and Jack Hawkins um, was in there as well. Um, I believe by that point Jack Hawkins had drunken his voice away, and um, his um, voice he was dubbed. And so that's a movie wow. that's also quite lengthy, but it needs to be lengthy. It needs oh. to have because it's got the scope. It's, I would, it's not a bloated movie. It's um, it's a, yet another film I would kill to see on a big screen. Really look amazing. I mean, if you would just have a trail of bodies if you got to see everything you wanted to see. <laughs> just take me on. Oh, so great movie. So what was the first of our great movies that we watched? Oh, oh yeah. So, so oh. This, this I believe I'm up. I believe so, and I believe this is going to be an interesting right. conversation. So, yeah, and uh, this is a film called Seven Faces of Dr. Lau, um, or Dr. Lowe. Yes. Um, we, it's, we are definitely going to be talking about the racist elephant in the room. <laughs> it's uh... Yes. Uh, I think I was three lines into it when I audibly said the word in an empty room, oh dear, because <laughs> that was when somebody said his first line of dialogue. So, give us a little... For those lucky folks listening who haven't experienced the Seven Faces of Dr. Lowe. Well, uh, Seven Faces of Dr. Lowe, it's, a, uh, it's starring Tony Randall and Barbara Eden. It's written by Charles Beaumont. Directed by George Powell. It's about... It's a Western, essentially. About a uh, Chinese man who comes... Or possibly Chinese man who comes into um, to ta- into this western town and the probably the it's, there's a car here so it's got to be it's late western yeah it's yeah. going to be 18, 18, 18 yeah nineties or that sort of thing um, with a, a circus um, the he's treated fairly uh, miserably by most people and. This is, you see, I'm I'm in the camp, and I'm sure you can get the implication from the uh, from the voice the voices here that two uh, that um, two out of the three did not enjoy this film even slightly. I loved it. Loved. Loved. It's okay. It has. It's an interesting movie because it has a very high rating on the yeah. Internet Movie Database. It's got. It seems to have a cult following. But the we reason know I, Doug was not a fan. Yes, but the reason I, I bring this up now is the fact that it's the the character puts on the voice to to depending as to who he's talking to and how he expects to be treated. Mm-hmm. And I, I really cottoned to that. But it's but the thing is that we've got a situation where he comes into town and is, is there are a whole bunch of fairly selfish people. Um, they've all got hang-ups, these townsfolk. There's a, um, a guy who is trying to buy the town out from underneath of them and has the support of the town. It's also worth knowing that this film was written by Charles Beaumont, who is uh, very much a Twilight Zone stalwart, and the storyline follows a fairly similar Twilight Zone-y kind of heavy moral um, basis. Um, There's not much story there other than the fact that the townsfolk go um, go to this circus that has no animals or one animal actually. <laughs> um, 
and uh, and they are taught a whole bunch of lessons in spite of themselves. Um, I yeah, it's I'm not selling it well, but we will talk about it a lot more. I'm I'm you you looking at me and thinking that I didn't like this movie. I don't know if I like this movie. I was 45 <laughs> minutes in and I literally, once again, always said out loud, I don't have a fucking clue what I'm going to talk about with this movie because... Well, we're not there yet, it so is, hold He's it still it got more introductions. It's, seriously, so you it's a... It's think about it while he... Uh, yeah. That, yeah, it threw yeah. me. It threw me for a loop, as George Palk sometimes does. Yep, and that's fair. It's, um... In terms of... We'll talk about George Powell, then we'll talk a little bit about the movie, and then we'll um, go into uh, <laughs> what could be a very awkward or very interesting discussion. <laughs> we'll, we will discuss it. Yes. So it's directed by George Powell. Uh, now, he's a Hungarian-American animator, film director, and producer. He started in cartoons in Berlin in 1930. Now, these cartoons were atypical to use a word that has already been used quite a lot um, in the fact that they were sort of stop motion puppety movies now later on in um, in sort of the later 1930s him and a um, American um, director in the Netherlands came up with the name of what these things were called. They're three-dimensional cartoons and they're called puppetoons. Puppetoons. So he immigrated to America in 1940. He ended up making at least another 40 of those puppetoons in America during that time. He's also best known for producing several sci-fi fantasy films in the 50s and 60s such as When Worlds Collide, A War of the Worlds, which is fantastic. I saw that for the first time uh, earlier this year, I think. I managed to get the imprint Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's really well done. It's, uh, it's quite... Yeah, it's, it's something. He um, also directed um, some films for himself, um, other than producing. So there was Tom Thumb. The Time Machine, Time Machine, which is yes. certainly a favorite. One of my favorites, yeah. Mm. And uh, also did the fantasy sections of the wonderful world of Brothers Grimm. Now, uh, uh, an interesting thing about his um, all of George Powell's movies, and unfortunately, I only learnt this fact after I saw the um, the Doctor Low, but uh, Woody Woodpecker turns up in all of his films. I did not notice it myself. <laughs> it's as a toy, as a something right. or other, and as a tribute to his long, long-standing friend Walter Lance, who right. created Woody Woodpecker. I didn't spot him. I spotted Fred Flintstone well before his time. Yes, I but. did. I yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that was very anachronistic. Yep. Um, but yes, it's uh, now. Interesting thing about Doctor Strangelove, and we've already talked about this. Uh, sorry. Um, interesting thing about uh, read the right things about uh, this film Dr. Lowe <laughs> this is just another, another <laughs> bloody doctor is um, that, uh, that Peter Sellers was, um, was well, uh, highly thought of for this and actually wanted to do it in fact um, at one time Lawrence Harvey Terry Thomas and Rod Taylor and Dick Van Dyke were all mentioned in relation to this movie it's, um, Powell wanted Peter Sellers and he wanted to do it however MGM wanted Tony Randall who was under contract 
and fifty thousand dollars cheaper. And yeah. sold. <laughs> You've got Tony Randall. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I, I couldn't find too much about this movie. Fifty but grand the, was um, a lot in 1954, really. For absolutely, yeah. the the Wicked Witch of the West's crystal ball and large hourglass can be seen among the artifacts um, that are decorating Doctor Lowe's circus tent. Well, that's again something I learnt after I saw the film. Now, a, a final word in terms of, of bits and pieces that I found out about this. Tony, and I'm sure that um, uh, that Doug might appreciate this, Tony Randall on talk shows would lament whenever the film aired late at night, he would be reminded of the same one-line review in the TV listings of the New York Times. Seven Faces of Dr. Lowe, 1964. Tony, Ran Tony Randall, Barbara Eden, they're all Tony, and they're all terrible. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Did he play the Medusa? He, yes, he, he did. played everything. He he had, I thought roles. he did, yeah. and that's the thing. he played them all. And I thought he did um, very good work with. Uh, he didn't play the Abominable Snowman. That was actually George Pal's son, I right. think. But they thought it was better to just say that he played all the yeah. all the yeah. circus denizens. Because to be honest, this is a special effects and makeup extravaganza of a movie. Absolutely, yeah, there is everything stop motion. There's yeah. you know, there's late there well, yeah. you know, prosthetics. There's wigs, there's makeup. There's Tony Randall being every character from like lots of characters from history. Oh, and, and full disclosure, I, I saw this film for the first time when I was about ten years old. Right. Yeah. So before, so um, you may have some sentimental sentimental attachment, attachment to yes. it. Whereas Absolutely. this was the first time I saw it the other day, and I just went, "What the fucking?" It's fuck interesting because the worst of Adrian <laughs> Messenger came out the year before, and I feel like there must have been some kind of like some a lot of like. Makeup drive around thing. makeup and like mm. about how can we make people look differently and this is cool stuff that we can do mm. and um, I mean and, and so presumably that was part of the selling of the film is just the fact that not only is it him playing all these roles but they were using such extensive makeup to oh and the makeup won an honorary yeah. Oscar I was going to say it got an honorary Oscar uh, William yeah. Tuttle uh, won um and yes, the makeup is fantastic. I mean, the voice gives it away every time that it's Tony Randall playing a different character. And I mean, they put that in the, the opening credits where they show all the different parts he's playing. Mm. But yeah, you, I mean, you could have any actors under some of those. You're but forgetting the novelty uh, comedy sound effects as well. A lot of comedy, yeah. Uh, they, they didn't yeah. win awards. But um, yeah, a bit, a bit of that going on. But we do, before we go anywhere, we better talk about that elephant in the room. Oh, yeah. The fact the, that Tony Randall plays elephant. this in Yellowface. And yes. his Chinese dialogue is very much of the time of 1950s. Yes. And it, and it stops. It and does then stop. it starts again. And then it, he becomes on with any of her accents. And to be honest, I found his French accent slightly more insulting because it was fucking terrible. This <laughs> was his Scottish. His French accent was And his great. Irish. His I mean, that was he but, did so many different accents and none of them particularly well. And that was what was throwing me because I'm watching this going as, okay, it's a fantasy, but I wasn't really getting the, the whole changing an accent in the middle of sometimes in the middle of a line let alone the middle of a scene and suddenly you'd be oh this is quite a serious scene we better drop back in, from Chinese into and then he was doing the um, the carnival barker, carnival barker voice he which was, was doing a lot he did a lot, a lot. <laughs> he was doing a lot and um, to paraphrase um, the line that I said about uh, Jared Leto 
in uh, House of Gucci. Um, if there was an Academy Award for most acting, <laughs> <laughs> Tony Randall oh, would have yeah. got the 1964 he edition. Definitely. Jared Leto's got the 2021 edition locked down. But, you know. <laughs> with, about, with about 10 minutes to go, my son Aiden came downstairs and had a look at it and heard that dialogue and just kind of looked at me as if, with a look in his face, just simply saying, what the fuck are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is not good. Even, I mean, even now, you can... You would never get away with that sort of thing. It's, oh, you shouldn't still, have gotten away with it then. Got away I mean, with it then. I mean, it was. I would. It's. I would. I'd. Lo- uh, there is more bodies, but I'd kill to see James Hong play that role. Mm. Or, I, I've had a couple films recently that have really unavoidable problematic aspects, and um, and I feel in some ways guilty digging into those deeply and the other one that I'm thinking mm. about is Last Night at Soho um, which kind of feels like somebody wanted to make a movie about We Too and feminism and um, then just had no fucking idea how to handle it and wound up making something that was really actively offensive towards that but um, but again it's like I'm not. it's not so much that I'm offended about that it's that there's so much else about the movie that's just terrible and I will say that this ticks a lot of my personal biases i just don't like circus comes to town movies oh. i i i can't think of a one um vampire circus was okay but again it's the, it is the same like you kind of you have this community that's dysfunctional and you show up and you get all this backstory fed into you and sometimes like there's a film called violent saturday that i watched this year that has a similar sort of... It sort of reminded me of this in moments where it sets up that something's going to happen, and then it digs into an hour of all these different background things. Mm-hmm. And that's so you can have an hour of everybody having this intense heist and all the fallout from that. So it's kind of like, you know, you're setting up all the dominoes, and then it goes... And this is just... We're setting up all the dominoes, and then there's another zany thing's going to happen at the, at the circus, and we're going to sit around and talk about it the next day. And, and hey, we went to the newspaper office and things are going. You suppose that Chinaman had something to do with it? And and it just it, 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 and so story-wise, it's just very lumpy and it's kind of you know going for some sort of redemption, but I'm not even sure where I'm supposed to relate to a character in amidst all of this. There's no emotional purchase anywhere in the film for me that I could find. Um, it just seemed like a tightrope or a guideline to um, hang a lot of gags on and a lot of, I mean, and I mean gags loosely, you know, mm. um, not just comedy, but, you know, like um, stand-up pieces and like, okay, we're going to have, we're going to have him play Medusa and then he'll turn somebody into stone. And so, and then it's just all kind of reverse engineered from that stuff. It's like, so what do we have to do? We have to have some character for some reason doubt this. And then, hmm. and then of course we can't really have somebody. So we have to have Merlin here and da 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 and I, spoilers. Yeah. The, the, the big thing for me was, I mean, the, the big overarching plot bit was we have to try and save this town for these people from the greedy developer. Yeah. And, and most 80%, of them don't deserve to be saved. 80% of the people in the town would, Dicks, and I didn't care. I would have burned mm. the town down, gone yeah, ten yeah. miles down the road, and started yeah, again. Yeah, this all ended like Django Unchained or something. Yeah. We don't care. I don't want to be neighbours with them. Even the children. One of the, the little girl that it was yeah. seeing magic happen oh, and just yes. shitting on Merlin from near Earth orbit but on all see, of his tricks. Yeah. Show me some tricks. <laughs> Boom. No, I, I could do that. Boom. And the, we had our, our our Greek chorus of the three 
cowboys, including the wonderfully named oh. actor Chubby Johnson. <laughs> I know I'm 12, but yeah, no, I, Chubby that, Johnson. That's one of the things I wrote down, is that there's a <laughs> character in this movie that exists that's called Chubby Johnson. Not a Actually, character. That was the actor's the actor's, name. actor's yeah. name. But before we get away from Circus Comes to Town, have you ever seen Carnival? No. The TV the HBO series, right? Oh, yeah. Wow, yeah. you should see Carnival. It's your sort of thing. Because it's, Circus Comes to Town. Apart from the Circus Comes to Town, it caters to a lot of... Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, I, it's one of those I've sort of meant to give a look to, but if, you know, I have trouble seeing three-hour films, so you should hear me so go on two, about a 13-hour series. series. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Although, you know, hey, Succession's good. But um, it's, I mean, for me, this movie has a, a a sense of wonder there's a is some strange sincerity to um to some of the roles that tony randall plays um do you think it's fundamentally a kid's movie and i don't mean that in a negative way i i mean that in like obviously you first saw it as a kid and that maybe there's a certain kind of I watched it with my mum and she loved it. Yeah, and she never seen it before. Never seen it before, right. and it's and she she touted that that it has that sense of magic and wonder that she has tapped into always as as have I. Uh, right. I was brought up on those types of movies and mm. that that where magic is real and that has a kind of. Just I, I just a, feel it would have worked better as a short. That it was. There's too much happening outside. It could of the have been a Twilight effects. Zone. Yeah, the special mm. the special effects were, it, were great, and they if you wrap that into like as I say a forty minute long mm. maximum Twilight Zone episode, I think you would have something. And if you mm. cut out the the accent that made my buttocks clench so tightly, you could have struck a match to between me, them. To <laughs> me, they it's by making that something that was the that was the town's fault mm. that the accent and the thickness of the accent yeah. and the the, uh, to me, that kind of absolved a, a lot of the damage of the of the accent itself. To me, the problem was the yellow face. The yellow face. You can't get away yeah, from yeah, that. Yeah, you can't get away from that. No. It's uh, apart from a washcloth. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and a change of costume, and maybe re- rewriting that part of the script. And I mean, <laughs> and let's face it, it would have. It was a bad. A bad idea then, let alone now, oh, where yeah. we're looking at things in a. In a uh, well, when was Breakfast at Tiffany? Sixty-three. Yeah, I was going to so say Breakfast at Tiffany. This was around the same before. time, and probably oh, in some and ways even and then more reprehensible. Oh, that's yeah, Bricky, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mickey Rooney has. He, he ruined yellow face for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but as you say, if you'd had, you know, I mean, because James Hong was working at the time. If they'd yeah. cast, you know, in fifties had castle but of course it's the 50s i mean this was, yeah you know this was probably not going to happen but it is it is roles. that kind of we're going to make this film where one person plays all these roles where this kind of mm. like weird idea about the whole marketing hype of it is that we're mm. going to ha- use rely on makeup to have one person do all these different things kind of transcends any of those like yeah those thoughts yeah yeah, yeah exactly mm. and and again also it is that kind of we're structuring it around that idea and and i mean that's the thing is like fundamentally i guess and I haven't seen that much George Powell, but it is about what's the spectacle that I can build into this movie. Mm. So, um, yeah, I've seen my, one of my favorite movies of all time is the uh, the Time Machine. But I will admit, I've seen it so many times now that I've watched it in a very peculiar way. Now I start watching the start, 
I nearly fall asleep in the middle as they get to the future and things become idyllic and mm-hmm. it kind oh, of yeah, yeah. bogs down a little and then I wake up as shit hits the fan. <laughs> and oddly enough, I'm not a fan of the War of the Worlds. I've uh, the spectacle, the special effects oh, blow your mind. Amazing. But for me, it's a, I find it too dry. Yeah. I don't know why. I've never. I've tried rewatching it recently, and it just is not myself. But the, the time machine, you can put that on at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'll be wide awake for the first 30 minutes, and I'll fall asleep for 30 minutes, and I'll be wide fucking awake for the next I minute. did <laughs> yeah. not find War of the Worlds dry at all. I thought they set up the, the, the danger incredibly well, and they kept that tension going, and then, um, and then a cold. Yeah, cold. So. Yeah, and then, <laughs> well, that's never going to happen. I mean, <laughs> ooh. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this film for me, I I enjoyed it a lot, and I can certainly understand those who are the reasons why others would not enjoy yeah. it. And, and I, I have to I have to confess that I just I mean I haven't been in during this lockdown and post lockdown period what I would call a charitable mood, <laughs> um, you know. So I I can't say that. If I if we sat down and watched it in a room and we were kind of enjoying it and riffing on it, would I have found purchase into it? Maybe right. you know. I mean, it's um, it it. Well, these recordings yeah. being delayed because you know with not being separated, and also it was really hard to get myself motivated to go. I've got to watch these films. I mean, I've been watching some yeah. really lightweight. I've been revisiting films that are just mm. there just to distract myself. And then I mean, there's a couple of movies you know, today where which are kind of like, well, it's going to be longer thinking viewing and my brain was just like I can't help you with this I'm sorry I'm yeah. sorry 2021 is fucked me so yeah this was it was it was interesting as I say in a, in a situation with a bunch of people it could be a different experience to me it was yeah. it was over in the middle I liked bits of it it's the curate scene isn't it isn't that what they yeah. call it bits I, of it were excellent <laughs> I, I really enjoyed Tony Randall's performance and that might be um, <laughs> controversial <laughs> but uh, I thought his truth teller his fortune teller was great and some of the lines that he he said um, and I paraphrase that you you will be the same woman you uh, the same person today as you are tomorrow is Nothing will change in your world. I had a, I had a twig the Twilight Zone thing, but it is that very it's, heavy-handed moralizing. Yeah, yeah of a I wouldn't have been surprised if Rod Serling was involved, and especially yes, the we'll be talking about later. Yeah. Oh, well, they 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 true. Almost a segue, apart from the fact we've got a movie in between those two. Yeah. So. Shall but we? Um, I liked it, and these two are cynical bastards. <laughs> I'm half cynical. <laughs> Hashtag half brand. Cynical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shall we? Shall we move on? Then? Yes. Yes. So we're moving on, continuing in 1964, uh, with Robin and the Seven Hoods. And this one's over to me. And I have not done quite the, the research as uh, my colleague has, as usual. Lots of things. I've got a few notes on it. But I did struggle with some of the research on this one because my brain, once again, is like, I'm not helping you with this shit. So there's not that much information out. But I did yeah. find a vintage New York Times review of it. Oh, cool. So I will be quoting a bit from that. Uh, for those of you who have not Let seen... someone else do your work. Yeah, ex- well, that's the thing. You delegate uh, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you delegate to a reviewer who wrote some 50 odd years ago... Which well, reviewer is this? Uh, is it Bosley Crowther? Or? I will just bring that back up. And um, talking about delegation, uh, one of my favourite quotes. First rule of delegation is delegate... Dele- uh, of business is delegate, delegate, and delegate again. And if you can't do that, get somebody else to do it for you. <laughs> is that from this film? 
Uh, no, it is. Oh, okay. It is not. Uh, this is the first of the. Fi- I watched this one way in front Me of too. the other two, and Me too. so it's not. As it is mostly across the world. Well done. You know your review is 1964, August the sixth. I know wow. a reviewer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's no, He was quite famous as like a real. Um, Hard not to please at the um, New York Times. It is, it is entitled A Musical Farce, Robin and the Seven Hoods at Local Theatres. But Robin and the Seven Hoods, so directed by, and if I bring my notes up now so I actually get this correct, directed by Gordon Douglas. Uh, and Gordon Douglas had a, shall we say, lengthy and eclectic career. Uh, yes. He's, he's, yeah, we shall say that. that. Let's say that. that. Let's say lengthy and eclectic. Uh, started off doing Owl Gang shorts in the 1930s. Uh, oh wow! And quite a lot of those. I mean, he's got so I think ninety-eight credits on the Internet Movie Database, and a lot of the early ones were shorts. Uh, his first feature was Zenobia in nineteen thirty-nine, starring Oliver Hardy. Oh, I've heard of this. This is the one which is the elephant. Is that the one? I don't. Actually, I didn't really look into that. I only looked up the fact that why is Oliver Hardy in this movie and Stan Laurel isn't, and apparently Stan Laurel's contract had run out, so they went well. They could um, continue to make this movie and delay it or they can make it wait till uh, Oliver Hardy's contract ran out and then sign both of them back up together so he was just resting on his laurels <laughs> yes very good <laughs> he didn't even rehearse that long <laughs> you can tell he did yeah so he, so that one uh, was uh, his first feature very consistent director throughout the 40s and 50s I've got to say and consistent I mean obviously a studio director which is you get handed it and you direct it so his filmography goes through everything from science fiction to westerns to crime movies there is a a lot a lot of movies on there some of which it turns out i have seen um including his very last one which was of all things viva knievel starring oh viva knievel which i put on at one of my birthday yes. or one of my 24 hours yeah i've seen so, that <laughs> so that's um yeah that's definitely a departure there uh in 1954 he directed one of the classics of b-movie cinema them Oh, wow. that's which, right, because I looked that up. And, yes, uh, which is, of course, giant ants versus uh, humans, and I was on the ant side the whole time, because they're really freaking cute, you know, Aww. when you get those shots. And But it's such a beautifully atmospheric movie at the start, because if you go to it without knowing... the Academy recently, yes, and I was, it was really great. impressed. Yeah, because yeah. he, he, he holds them back. He doesn't throw them at you in the first bit. There's sound effects, and there's, you know, just off-screen shadows, and... For people who just come into that not knowing anything about them, that would have, you know, scared the piss out of people, I reckon, in the, in the drive-ins in the 50s. So I little love that. He followed that in the same year by a movie, a romantic comedy movie by the looks of called Young at Heart, starring Frank Sinatra and Doris Day. And he continued to work with Sinatra quite often. But he's the only director, apparently, in Hollywood that directed both Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley. Because he did uh, follow that dream with Elvis uh, some years later. And he's... he's a lot of people, Bob Hope was another person he directed in a movie called Call Me Buana, which sounds like it could be <laughs> right up there with the um, last movie as terms of ones that may not have aged very well. But he followed that up with our movie that I'm talking about now, Robin and the Seven Hoods. And let's give you the, um, the internet movie database synopsis uh, and see how much of this is absolute bullshit. <laughs> in Prohibition era Chicago, two rival gangs compete for control of the city's rackets. That is literally the synopsis on there. Okay. Which yeah. doesn't explain quite a lot about this. It's, actually, <laughs> it's like, yes, but... <laughs> let's, let's expand. In Prohibition-era Chicago, two rival gangs with remarkably coincidental names to Robin Hood reenact Robin Hood 
with Frank Sinatra as Robin Hood, with acknowledging Dean, Robin Hood, acknowledging that Robin Hood exists in this universe, mm. with Dean Martin as the sexist alcohol sponge of Dean Martin, <laughs> and with Sammy Davis Jr. as the guy who I wish had some more fucking lines in this movie. Yeah, why are you putting Sammy Davis Jr. in your movie if you're not going to have him be in the movie? He, he was my favorite part in this movie, and you can yeah. tell right off the bat, I fucking hated this movie. Yeah. I really, really hated this movie. because Mainly because of that, but there's a number of other things too. But the biggest thing is the highlight of this movie... Peter is Falk. that you've got well two highlights. Peter Falk <laughs> is hilarious and it opens so promisingly because Peter Falk was playing Guy Gisborne, the he gets a the song, villain. he but gets the, a uh, song. He, uh, well, kind you of. have all these people <laughs> in this film that are known for singing, and I literally paused <laughs> and I went to say like, did Peter Falk have a recording career? <laughs> <laughs> was Peter Falk in any other musicals? Has Peter Falk ever had a song? Why in this film with Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, <laughs> he and Sammy Davis Jr. Movie. does Peter Falk have the, the opening, opening song? <laughs> I, I believe that what I said when it came up was, I've never heard Peter Falk sing before. And then he finished singing and I went, I still There's haven't heard reason. Peter Falk sing. <laughs> I'm still yet to hear him sing. He is. He gets the opening number. Uh, and, a, and a nice little opening sequence with Edward G. Robinson as a mob boss who yeah. Peter Falk really wax takes over his whole operation and decides he's going to take all of the Chicago's mob organizations and put them under one umbrella apart from one little holdout the, the asterisk of this movie which is Robbo uh, so they really thought that fucking name through a long time <laughs> yeah, yeah. played by Frank Sinatra as he returns from New Orleans to say no I'm not going to do that and as I say it started promisingly because Peter Falk is frigging hilarious he's he's the proto uh Joe Pesci. He's mm. it's literally Joe Pesci without the swearing. It's just you could look at his performance and go, right, that's what Joe Pesci did for all of the nineties. And he's hilarious. He plays the part to the hilt. And then Frank Sinatra appears and he doesn't, doesn't give a fuck. It's as though he's not in a movie. It's, it's um... And it's not all of his fault. I know Sinatra was notoriously difficult to work with, but it was a trouble production. I looked this up. Basically I think four days after they started filming JFK was shot and oh. Frank Sinatra was a good friend of JFK's and a mm. week after that Frank Sinatra Jr. was kidnapped for a week and wow. Frank Sinatra eventually had to pay a very large ransom to get him back so they oh, didn't get him wow. back in pieces and at that point they He's basically said in a good place yeah, he no longer gave a shit about the film wow. in fact several of the other actors said they were surprised it even got finished um, so you've got this amazing cast Yeah, you've got classic you know, actors there. You've got Bing Crosby looking uncomfortably out of place at times. And you've got a song after song after song, 80% of which don't fit in this movie. Don't. Mm. It never even really needs And aren't very memorable. Not memorable. Except for Mr. Booze. Mr. Booze. I I tried to think this morning, because I watched this, ooh, three days ago, and I tried Ah. to remember the songs in it. I can remember Ah, Mr. Booze. the pain is fresh. And I can remember Sammy Davis Jr.'s I can't remember what it was called, but basically, I love shooting shit. Bang, bang. <laughs> bang, bang. I love shooting shit. That was fun. And that's the I only time I can remember. One. There is yeah. so, many songs there which just appear, don't have any relation to the plot. Bing Crosby gets to do a song, and it's he. it feels out of place, because he does two songs. He does a song with Frank and Dean, and it's it's 1930s with 1960s. And oh, it feels the style like thing. What was it? It's, it's song. About style. It feels like they've invited their dad to come along. And oh, you got them. class or yeah. something. Yeah. And then he does a, a song called uh, Don't Be a Do-Badder. 
yeah. which was never going to run up the, the hit charts. Yeah. It's this big number. But it, for me, it was all about that one number with Sammy Davis Jr. Because yeah. he, it is joyous. He dances. He destroys the speakeasies, destroys Peter Fox speakeasy, shoots the shit out of things, never misses yeah. a step. And then for the next 40 minutes, I think I counted he had three lines. He becomes an extra. It's weird. That was it's very, very weird. weird. It was irritating because he was a great character in that one scene, yeah. but that's the only time they gave him a chance. The rest of it was Frank and Dean fucking around, Dean and drinking everything in sight. I wonder and if it's because Bing woman. Crosby, because normally... It's all Bing's fault. Let's right. blame it on <laughs> No, 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 but Bing was a new part of the, of the team. <laughs> Yeah, really. Because normally, I mean, that's the Rat Pack. But I, I think, I think fundamentally, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of Rat Pack movies, so I don't know how it compares. But literally, my the second thing I, I wrote down after Peter Falk musical theater question <laughs> mark uh, was this is edited and paced as if there was meant to be a laugh track, and right. and yet it, yeah. it like it just it that. has that leaden kind of feel of like oh people are going to be laughing so we'll leave room but we're not and it's. And visually, it's not that. I mean, one of my other notes is, 30 years after Busley, Busby Berkeley, this is the best we can hope for. <laughs> you yeah. know, they're, they're, the, the, the staging of the scenes isn't yeah. very it's memorable. It's, it's yeah. almost a stage play. Yeah, but it's one that I would be shifting in my seat after half an hour going, they really yeah. needed to run this through a few more rehearsals. Because it just it feels very, very flat. It does not feel like anyone was enjoying themselves on set. I really enjoyed... Peter Falk. Oh, Peter Portman. Victor Buono is... I mean, he gets a pass from me anytime. <laughs> He's just so entertaining. And Hans Kongreed, um, in a... Um, in a um, uncredited scene, he's the accountant. Is he the accountant or the architect or something? I mean, it might be the architect who right, creates yeah. the, um, the bar. Uh, though it's... I thought those three performances got me through the movie right but not much else and and sammy davis's bang 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 scene was great what really busted my fucking balls on this movie part of my french was that we hit a big show-stopping musical number we've finished we've beaten peter falk we've had the show-stopping musical number we've told chicago chicago and then the moral we faded out we faded back up and i went this fucker's got 20 minutes to go. <laughs> that was credit roll time. Yeah. It had a perfect ending. You didn't have to go back and suddenly go, okay, let's suddenly make him the bad guy. We've made Robin Hood the good guy. Let's make him the bad guy for the next 20 minutes and see what happens. It was a dirge. It, and it led to the limpest frigging ending I've seen in a long time. And I've seen a lot of Godfrey Ho movies, so I've seen a lot of <laughs> shitty endings. I've seen like Clank, the end. <laughs> but And we talked, I mean, I was talking before about things like Peter Pan and A Christmas Carol that have been you know, driven into the ground by overuse. And, and Robin Hood arguably is one of those as well, but I think Robin Hood is is successful because it has fundamentally good, um, you know, dramatic bones that mm. can keep being repurposed. And I feel like, the, and that's the frustrating thing, is like, I don't know what a good version of Seven Faces of Dr. Lau looks like. I don't know that one exists. I feel like I can sort of see the movie that the writer wanted to make and the the idea is actually fundamentally it's, I think it's a clever idea of being like mm. what if Robin Hood was actually a gangster and you subvert all this stuff and mm. you just really disembowel the American dream through that notion and take it as you know the the cr- criminal who takes from the poor and makes everybody richer I think there's a you know the, I, I'm blanking on Petty Chat Ch- 
Chayefsky or the guy who wrote Network or somebody like that mm. running with that. I think there is actually like you get that and you get these actors and you get a director who cares about how, what a musical looks like on screen and maybe you have like a great classic of 1964 instead of and, and obviously you don't have Frank Sinatra's personal life mm. go into the toilet at the same time yeah. ideally but um, but yeah but instead you have this yeah it, yeah wasn't a laugh riot. No. Wasn't the... <laughs> here's, uh, here's the uh, some of the oh the review yes. from the 1964 review by Bosley Crowther. Uh, here we go. The minor musical whimsy that arrived at the palace and other theatres yesterday under the just too cunning title of Robin and the Seven Hoods is almost as strained and archaic in its fable as it has to tell of Prohibition era gangsters in Chicago as the fable of Robin Hood it travesties. Uh, so yeah I don't think he was a big fan of it uh, see he uh, he does uh, like he refers to the, the cheerful competition given by a cockeyed Peter Falk mm. which I mean the, the one upside I think this movie is that we are now definitely doing three movies by Peter Falk in some way shape or form yeah, coming absolutely. up soon yeah. so we'll be doing that as compensation to our uh, slighted uh... there's some mildly amusing byplay with a dead gangster's ambitious daughter performed by Barbara Rush plus a few songs of no distinction and a frenzied fracas with the hoods of Mr. Folk. Uh, it is as harmless as rom- romp as the Keystone Cops. So he was, he yeah. basically dissed it with very faint praise, which is, I mean, at mm. times, once again, it had that great musical number in the middle, and for me, it was bound on either side with interminably overlong shit. I cannot recommend this one myself. I mean, other people may enjoy it more. Every movie is going to have its fans, but two hours and three minutes long for that? Mm. Fuck off. Are you, <laughs> are you calling this a do-badder? I'm definitely... Um, that's a do-badder for me. This is... Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to say this For me, it's more I could do nothing. I'm going to take it out and get Sammy Davis Jr.'s ghost to come back and shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> I do think the whole, like, um, being able to press the button and having all the foot things into the church was like I I, I I would say that I probably had more moments of pleasure during this than I had of seven faces of Dr. Lau but this that's two stars versus one and a half stars <laughs> it's uh, also fair to um, mention that this is probably not the best way to present 64 like it wasn't like it was the best 87 way. yes my 87 yeah. films were very middle of the road so we had yeah. agreed that we will Probably well, at some Bob point. Two is quite good, and we've got a good film yeah, coming up. But yeah. we we will probably be revisiting sixty four and eighty seven, and, and an looking at film, yeah. what we consider are the best movies that represent, mm. but uh, but aren't necessarily the most popular. Exactly, yeah. most of the ones that we've been talking about in those years, you would have you know listeners of something this ridiculously lengthy and nerdy would have already watched I mean if I, if I go into a deep dive on Goldfinger you're going to be like I'll oh, just fucking watch the movie yeah, <laughs> yeah. well maybe, maybe, maybe we just kind of each it. of us choose one from the year that we really love that the other two haven't seen oh, nice. oh. and that might give us a whole kind of the addendum um, to chance to, we'll know, we'll know yeah, at least yeah. one of us likes each movie <laughs> <laughs> shall we move on to uh, the highlight of the show let's do that um, which is me giving a really protracted recap which is I mean kind of the reason for the season too it was um this is a film that i've loved for many many years and i tried to jam it into (laughs) into this uh Uh, this format this format yeah um and therefore the other two films had to follow suit so yeah so the film is seven days in may in my usual i was going to do a whole um piece on john frankenheimer and then i 
discovered there's so much interesting about all the people involved with this film that I, and I didn't feel like giving a 20 minute monologue. I don't know why that's very out of character. But um, <laughs> um, just a brief bit on Frankenheimer's early days. Born in Queens, he was fascinated by cinema from an early age. All of this is paraphrased from Wikipedia. I apologize, but you know that's the um, level of standard that you're getting when you're recovering from lockdown and uh, adjusting to the traffic light system. But um, one of his favorite. Um, memories of going to the movies every weekend is that he and his aunt attended a 25 episode seven and a half hour marathon of the Lone Ranger when he was seven or eight and so he was a big um, film buff but he went to military school and high school and then he got a college degree and then he joined the Air Force and that's where he first got into filmmaking Um, this paragraph from Wikipedia was fascinating so I'm just going to read it um He recollects his early apprenticeship with the Air Force Photography Unit as one of almost unlimited freedom. As a junior officer, Frankenheimer's superiors, quote, couldn't have cared less what he did in terms of utilizing the filmmaking equipment. He was free to set up the lighting, operate the camera, and perform the editing on projects he personally conceived. His first film was a documentary about an asphalt manufacturing plant in Sherman Oaks, California. Lieutenant Frankenheimer recalls moonlighting at $40 a week as writer, producer, and cameraman making television infomercials for a local cattle breeder in Northridge, in which livestock were presented on the interior stage sets. The FCC terminated the programming after 15 weeks. No no more details on that. Um, He was discharged from the military in 1953, and he tried to stick around California, couldn't make it work, so he went back to New York, where there was a lot of television drama going on, and so he um, got picked up as an assistant to director Sidney Lumet for a historical drama series that Lumet was directing. Lumet or Lumet? I've always always said it is Lumet. Yeah, I think it is Lumet, actually. Um, But that series is called You Were There, and um, Charles Russell had a series called Danger, and Edward R. Murrow had a series called Person to Person. So over the next seven years... Frankenheimer learns the art of TV making, you know, forwards and backwards. He eventually replaces Lumet as the director on You Are There and does Danger Under a five-year contract. Um, And then uh, over that time, he directs over 140 episodes, um, you know, directing everything from Shakespeare to Eugene O'Neill, F. Scott Fitzgerald, working with Ingrid Bergman, John Gielgud, Mickey Rooney, Jack Lemmon, you know, just... Mm -hmm. So he suddenly has, you know, this amazing confidence and skill set without having made um, I think technically his his first film comes out in the middle of that um, called The Young Stranger in 1957 but um, 1961 is when he first starts getting films released and so uh, this film is actually his sixth feature so 1961 is his second one The Young Savages and then 62 he has All Fall Down um Birdman of Alcatraz with Burt Lancaster, on whom more later. Young Savages was Burt Lancaster. Oh, yeah. Yes, true. And um, which I haven't seen, so I didn't clock that. And uh, The Manchurian Candidate. Um, And so that brings us to. It brings us to 1964, but really it brings us to 1963, because that's when this movie was made and when Mm -hmm. this movie was supposed to be released. Now, it's an adaptation of a novel by um, two authors, Charles W. Bailey II and Fledger Neville. Um, one of whom's principally a reporter and one of whom's principally a novelist, but worked together on this book. Um, It's based on the outlandish concept that a far-right group might work to have an overthrow of the American 
government. I don't know where you get these crazy ideas. Completely science fiction. Um, not remotely applicable to anything that we've seen happen in 2021. No, but anyway. Yeah, yeah ne- um, never going to happen. No. But also, it's actually, it is very um, topical. And I don't know if either of you have been watching the Oliver Stone uh, series on JFK on Doc Play, but, the, but he's been recapping sort of the releases around um, uh, papers that were had not been released at the time of the film of JFK. And oh. so it's kind of like, um, this is all the stuff you call me a conspiracist for there. This is what's now, and has Whoopi Goldberg shouting at you the entire time. Oh. It's very strange. So it's um, a na-na-na-na-na documentary. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I only got one episode in, and I'm like, this is just... Uh, the, the level of score settling is one of such minute detail that I don't. I literally care heard too about much. it yesterday. I saw yeah. something on the internet, and I went, "Man, with how much I really, really loved JFK, I really, really don't think I'm going to be watching this because if it's if it's a documentary, you know, having all of his conspiracy theories and as you say, trying to point out exactly where he's right, I'm going to want to punch myself. Yeah, I literally heard about it. About a minute, minute ago. ago. Yeah. Okay. Did, did you know it says? <laughs> so one of the, so one of the huge uh, things in ep- in episode one of it is that there was an Air Force Chief of Staff named General Curtis Lemay who was expecting. Uh, are you sure it's not Limit? <laughs> oh, M A Y. Who was angry with Kennedy um, because there was this whole plan that the Q- that um, the U uh, S military was going to invade. Cuba to support the rebels um, in the Bay of Pigs invasion and um, and Kennedy's like no we're not going to do that and they're like no but we have to we promise and he's like what this is just an excuse to provoke a military confrontation and Lemay was like you bet it is and he's like <laughs> Kennedy's like I'm not doing that and so the Bay of Pigs was the disaster that oh. it famously turned out to be and um, and so that uh, was one the, between that character and um, a um, anti-communist general Edwin Walker, who was indoctrinating the troops under his command with radical right-wing uh, propaganda, um, and having described Harry Truman, Dean Acheson, who was the former Secretary of State, Eleanor Roosevelt, and people like that as communist sympathizers. So Burt Lancaster's character is generally seen as being a synthesis of those two characters. The film is set in 1970, so it's considered to be a science fiction projection, which is actually something that I didn't quite click on, especially because some of the technology around mm. TV and stuff like that wasn't quite at that stage at that point, but because it's advanced since then, and because uh, in bringing it to film, of course, Frankenheimer had such an intimate knowledge of the working of TV, there's a lot of verisimilitude around that stuff that it doesn't feel like when somebody's like, in the future, maybe there'll be holograms. You know, you know, it just kind of makes it work. Um, Kirk, Doug- Kirk Douglas was not only you know one of the leads in this, but he was one of the producing progenitors that helped make the film happen. I, I, I talked about you know yesterday when we started this podcast, his <laughs> <laughs> uh, woman that, and he um, and Burt Lancaster actually have a huge um, filmography together from I Walk Alone in 1947 Gunfight at the OK Corral 1957 um, Devil's Disciple 1959 oh. The List of Adrian Messenger in 1963 um, and then Seven Days of May and then later Victory at a T- Entebbe in 1976 and Tough Guys in 1986 mm-hmm. um, now apparently um, 
the previous collaborations that Frankenheimer had had with Lancaster were not happy making, and he originally didn't want that, but Douglas mm. really pushed for Lancaster to play the part and begged Frankenheimer to reconsider, and then um, it turned out that they got along magnificently, and then Lancaster returned the favor when um, Frankenheimer was like, oh god, I've had a really big run. I mean, he did all those films back-to-back so quickly, mm. and then he's on post on this, and then Lancaster gives him a call and said, hey, we're making this movie The Train, and we've just had to fire Arthur Penn. Will you come uh. and take over? And he's like, no. And it's like, no, really, we want you to do this. And so... Um, so eventually he did take over the train, which for my money is actually... Same year. The, uh, say, yep, yeah, and in fact, um, they slightly overlap because the final scene of the, the Seven Days in May is not the original final scene, and they reshot it uh, on a weekend while they were shooting the train in Paris. Whoa. So when Lancaster walks out to the limo at the end, that was not the original ending. Oh my lord. Um, so yeah, they just picked that up. Um, so... Uh, again, and, it, and this was originally said. Uh, sorry, you have a question over no, there. No, no, oh, you're I'm just blown. Oh, yes. been blown. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they they um they did all this work. This is all still 1963. Things are very busy, and they're like, great, we'll put this out at the end of 1963, and a couple weeks before uh, the release date um, for this big um, Oscar bait. Uh, prestige picture with not just um, Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster, but also Frederick Marsh, Ava Gardner, Edmund O'Brien, Martin Balsam. Um, JFK's assassinated. And so a film about a military coup um, with characters loosely modeled on some of the forces that were trying to bring him down. Oh, and um, JFK, I believe, had it was one of his favorite novels at the time. Yeah, and in fact, JFK allowed some of sleeve, the... Uh, JFK allowed some things to be shot, I think, on his ranch or one of his properties or oh, something. Wow. So JFK was very supportive of Seven Days in May, unlike mm. um, the military. Um, mm. So finally it comes out in February 64, so not that long of a delay, ultimately, mm-hmm. but may have compromised its award chances. But interestingly, um, the only award winner of the bunch was uh, Edmund O'Brien, is the uh, senator who gets the um, Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor and an Oscar nom. Um, The only other Oscar nom for uh, the film was uh, Best Art Direction, Slet Direction for a Black and White Film. Um, Interestingly, of all the things you wouldn't have expected to pick up a Golden Globe nom for, Best Score, Jerry Goldsmith, 12 Minutes of score in this film. I actually forgot. I mean, the, the opening has an amazing cue, but I forgot yeah. there was a score and then a little bit it's a pops bit at up the at end. the end. Yeah. It's mostly at the end. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then off the back of that, Frankenheimer did some other good movies. Uh, and that's as far as we're going down that summary. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so what did you guys think? I think I know what Darren thinks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, 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 <laughs> That might have been my seventh or eighth watch of that movie, um, but it's it's because it's a film that I kind of discovered um, thanks to um, our friend um, Leonard Moulton. Uh, mm-hmm. It was, and I just needed to show it to as many people as I could, which meant that I came along for the ride. And it's, um, yeah, I I love it. It's, uh, so let's hear about from the people who... Uh... This is the second time I've seen this because I was shown oh, it okay. by Darren. <laughs> and I will admit, when I started watching it, after about five or ten minutes, I'm like, have I seen this before? This opening feels very familiar. And then at the end of the movie, I went, yeah, I've definitely seen this before, but 
I didn't think about that because within 10 minutes of it, you are kind of swept up into this movie. Mm. And I fucking love this movie. Yeah, and I looked it up, right. actually. It has been... Uh, we saw it in September of 2017, according to my letter. Okay. So four and a half years in between the two. Viewings, yeah. And... It is, but that's probably the reason it was almost wiped out of my memory. Apart from that opening, that opening scene with the protesters outside the White House yeah. is a very memorable image. There's a really interesting tension in the film between that some of those very documentary style things mm. and some of the very lockdown style of television directing, and they're both really interesting styles. And I think um, Frankenheimer merges them to greater success in um, Seconds, which comes not too mm. far after this, which is my favorite Frankenheimer film. Um, I don't know if I could pick a favorite Frankenheimer. I can't. I Seconds. just love <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I like this film. I uh, What I struggled with, I think, I think is partially just that my brain is blown, and I think my attention span and, and needing to watch this, knowing that we've got this record coming up. Mm. Um, and feeling... Um, something about the there's a few things about it there's the sprawling nature of it Mm -hmm. I feel like the whole Ava Gardner side of things is quite tacked on and I feel like it's a big derail of the film at a point where it doesn't need it I feel like it's a thing and and maybe I'd see the and I'm totally willing to hear a counter argument on Mm. that but I feel like it really messes with the pace of the film also, the two films that I had in my mind during this were, um, uh, apart from Manchurian Candidate and Seconds, were uh, Fail Safe and Doctor Strange. What you going to say, Fail And Fail Safe, yeah. which are also both 1964 yeah. films, mm-hmm. and which both I think are better than this film. Fail Safe is just such a. Um, I mean, when I was talking before about China Syndrome, I was and mm-hmm. saying I wanted it to be Andromeda Strain. Like, Failsafe is almost kind of the model of that ticking time bomb. Mm-hmm. Shit has gone wrong. We need to deal with it. And it uses that black and white TV drama, yes. this conference, you know, this thing going wrong with the rest so well. And then, obviously, Dr. Strangelove then just, you know, tears up the whole playbook in Failsafe's glorious... Failsafe's been on my to watch list for fucking oh, ever, so and I've never got around to getting a copy the trigger of it. So. Yeah, I've got it on DVD if you need a copy of it. I should definitely have to have a look at it, because it's, it's, yeah. as I say, every time I hear it mentioned, I'm like, my brain, I just like, oh, I should watch that, and then it, it's gone, because my brain. But yeah, definitely, that is that feels like one of those butter-clenching butter <laughs> kind of movies where you're going, you know, yeah. like like Miracle Mile, where you know this yeah. has gone down, and mm. all you can do is go on the road, because there's not much anyone's going to do about it. So Yeah, and, that's, and, and there are moments where this kind of gradual accumulation of, like, characters kind of working together and and stuff really um allows a few digressions and peaks and that and that's why edmund o'brien's character winds up being such a powerful Mm. part of it um and also because he's just having so much um fun with a role that also winds up being such an emotional center Mm. to the film and i think that's the frustration with kirk douglas's Role as he's so pivotal and then as he disappears. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. as um, I I loved the insult that somebody said to him. Um, uh, I thought you might be a civil rights lawyer by now. <laughs> um, <laughs> as not intended as a compliment, <laughs> um, you know. And um, I was thinking about something that somebody said about the difference between thrillers and horror. And a horror is where the film's in front of you as the viewer and and the characters like wind up getting blindsided and thriller is you know you're more with 
um, I'm getting it wrong, but basically it's like, it's your, your, oh, sorry, it's suspense versus shock is what I was getting at a uh-huh. little bit. Cool. And so, but you're kind of, it's like the, the player, the characters are spending a lot of the film playing catch up with what you know. Mm-hmm. Um, having said all that, I feel bad because that sounds just like a litany of stuff that's not very complimentary and maybe it's actually more of a compliment to the film that it is so good despite that because those that skill set that I talk about with Frankenheimer of like having actors talk for 13 minutes in the Oval Office about Kirk oh, Douglas saying what might be go on, going on and all of mm. that and it's just so expertly acted expertly staged in ways that aren't showy but don't feel repetitive and just allow the tension to build and knowing mm-hmm. when to you know get out of the way as a director and then when to have these sort of more flashy intervention types of scenes. Yeah, I think Hitchcock said shock was when two characters sit down in a, in a, a cafe uh, and a yes. bomb goes off and suspense is when you see the bomb go under the table before they sit down and you and it feels like that because I was, I was quite worried about watching this movie because my brain's been so friggin' munted by the yeah. last couple of Months, well, the last mm. four months of lockdown have done such a number on my brain, and you know, right down to the background for the first time in my life, I'm going, Oh, I should really look into my mental health and look after myself a little more. Yeah, and I knew I was going to have to concentrate on this one, but it's slipped me up, and I was able to focus on this one, watch it all in one hit. I was there was no stopping mm. and pausing, it was yeah. just you had to get to that end to see what was going, and it was it's it's a really it's just a, a very you know, I'd have to say it's the movie itself sucks you in there and you have to see it through to the end you can't yeah. just kind of stop halfway and go you know yeah. okay I'll come back to that later on you, you want to see how this is developing That's because true. it is such an intricate movie there's so many moving parts I guess mm. is the way I'm probably uh, describing I think this the sprawlingness also uh, to answer what you were saying comes from the fact that it is a novel yeah and I I get the feeling that the Ava Gardner subplot is definitely mm. part of the novel and it's um, I think it's a really especially because knowing that the uh, and we haven't mentioned it but the script was by Rod Serling mm. Mm. yeah I totally uh, forgot that bit and so it makes a lot of sense that there would um, they would put a lot of a lot of focus of Kirk Douglas's story on a moralistic point of view because that's Rod Serling's bread and butter but he already has a strong moralistic question of the chain of command of military Mm. versus what he sees as potentially uh, an act of treason but he doesn't he doesn't know for sure Mm. and but that's you know but but this is is putting him into question is 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 what he is doing whatever you can to secure uh, for good necessarily the right thing to do and I think that was worth worth asking I thought that how it was handled I thought was very good but of course I've seen this seven or eight times yeah, so I, yeah. I, I feel I, I like I think it's I one that I might be... enjoy more in a second thing just knowing the yeah. shape of it and I, kind of like what I was saying with Boogie Nights before is that it's kind of like mm. okay this isn't going to be fail safe this is going to be you know the gradual like vice turn you know rather than the 
Um, you know, holy shit, pressure cooker, you're in a room and things are going badly and they're not going to get, you're not going to have a chance to breathe, so just try to keep it up. It also relies a lot on emotion, more than you would expect from a thriller like this, especially with the types of characters. Uh, the, um, the fate of Martin Balsam's character I found very affecting, and, and the way it was, because it mm. all happens off screen. But it's we see the effect that has on the president. Yeah, and I thought it's worth saying. Frederick March is amazing as the yeah. president. He, he, it's he's the president who never will exist. <laughs> <laughs> and and he's also um, it's interesting. He's very much under the gun. He's not yeah. popular. Um, he's in his mm. is it second term? I think. And but the thing, or, or for but the things he's only like a year and a half away from another election. Yeah, I think, yeah. Oh, I think right. it's his That's first term. First term, I think but things the, are not going question, well. Yeah, um, and the way we see what he's going through, and he's definitely he's like the covert lead of this movie, mm. in terms or covert hero, yeah, of this movie because Kirk Douglas is the star. And then somehow he just kind of disappears in the last... I guess, I guess that's the handover that's hour. kind of like, you know, it's it's no longer in his hands. And so they've had to kind of create this situation where they have a gardener. Which and makes it real, yeah. Yeah. almost. It's, and, uh, and the fact that it's... Um, that that yeah. characters uh, who start off important aren't necessarily important to how things end. It wasn't a, he yeah. wasn't the Sammy Davis Jr. in this movie. I don't. I wasn't going bring back no. because I had so many other characters. And he still had that great last scene with Burt Lancaster. Oh, yeah. um, two thoughts. One is that I think because Burt Lancaster followed up and did this with the train, which to me is such a you cannot let go. I oh, mean, to me that's the counterfactual film. of like. I think you know, I that's a that film that one you, of my favorites as well. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, the second yeah. second is still first, but the train is yeah. right up there, and it's probably because seconds is a sentimental favorite, and because Jake is basically ripped off from seconds. Um, <laughs> but um, Paul Schofield's performance in the train is just yeah, uh, and and yeah, and again the the moral questions of it mm. and the ticking time bomb. And all of that gives it that real. If you um, haven't seen it, we need to do that. Did that play the Hollywood? Did you see that? No, I've got the Euro Blue, so I I think I talked about it on the show before. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth revisiting. But uh, yeah, this is just um, it. It is. It's a film that sweeps you up, and it's. I think it's criminally underknown. I would definitely say that. I was really surprised that it hasn't have more of a. Rep, and I guess when you have when you consider the cast, yeah, but when you consider the films that are released around mm. it, I mean, Manchurian Candidate, you know, to be fair, and The Train, True. to be fair, and Seconds, to be fair, you know, and suddenly it's like, well, you know, how how many, you mm. know, five star films can you have in a four year period before <laughs> people are like, oh, okay, I would, I'd put the supporting cast of this with, alongside films like Report to the Commissioner. Yeah. In terms of it feels like they're a very um, theatre... A lot of the supporting actors is Richard Anderson is in there. Um, oh, there's not a bum roll. And I no. mean, some of the characters, I wouldn't even be able to say who they are. But, but there's just, like a... There's a they feel like they're theatre actors. Yeah, yeah. They, and they just find a little bit of grit 
to let you stick in their heads even when you know it's like oh I saw that guy 45 minutes ago and there's just something I was going to say official secrets have you guys seen that um, oh you've mentioned it Knightley, yeah. Kira, yeah. yeah because it has a similar structure to this only in so far as there's like this big handover because um, she I mean without spoiling too much but she goes to the press and then yeah. eventually that leads to the legal side of things. So there's this big handover. And so it's in- yeah. interesting when you have what are considered sort of Aristotelian rules of drama that you have these protagonists that carry it through and it li- mm. rests on their shoulders. And then you have the messy realities of a film like this or a film like that where, um, you know, the logic of it is such that there there wouldn't be a character who has that no. through line. In, in reality, you're not going to be you're not going to be there in every step of the way. I mean, that's where you know, when you look at things like you know my the big '80s action movies that I love, where the, the one character is in every part of the, mm. the story. Yeah, yeah. And no way, it's there for convenience. The story, mm. but, but the you realism, have the realism yeah, of, of films like be in The there. Lost World, for example, where Vince Vaughn gets off at. Uh, on the mainland, and we don't see him again. Yeah, the, just, the just, yeah. <laughs> I could be being a little bit facetious. I know, no, Pete Possibly. But remember Pete Possibly in the same movie, just going, yeah, see ya, I'm yeah. out of the movie. They, Have they fun. both just, leave the film. I've seen enough people get killed. Right. Bye. <laughs> and then the film goes for another 40 minutes. I don't even know if I've seen The Lost World, I'll tell you. I don't know that I could recommend it for that, you. That's the reason I haven't seen it. <laughs> and, and not yeah. specifically you, but that's, that's generally the response I get when mm. I'm like, should I? catch up with the Jurassic Park trilogy I would call well, it you could theory. <laughs> the first and the yeah. third I, 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 yeah. I would rate we've gone on a weird tangent here but yes I like yeah. the third. <laughs> who talks about seven days in May without talking about Jurassic Park <laughs> <laughs> I mean come on well, I, you cannot fault the third one for having a movie where a uh, Sam your dreams of a, of a velociraptor waking him up from his dream by saying his name which has become memed beautifully Alan Alan <laughs> I'll, I'll put that meme up onto it. But I, I love that <laughs> it's the third one. We are talking about this. Oh, God. The third one. Um, the double down, baby. Double down. <laughs> it's because uh, the, the first one is a, a really good film. The second one is sort of overblown. Yeah. And the third one pairs everything back. It's gone back. And it, yeah. it comes to about four. Uh, the cast is about four or five people. Yeah. And that's the uh, and the focus is on about two or three dinosaurs, and it it's just a really compelling movie. Uh, and William H Macy's in there, and he's it's like Boogie Nights. Nights. doesn't have Jeff probably Goldberg. not just like Boogie Nights. Oh, it's just like Boogie Nights. Hartley plays his wife yes. in that as well. <laughs> I was hoping we'd get this back around. Yeah, yeah it's that, just that, like that scene with the Velociraptor like ums up the pants at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The tail's the other way around. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> I, I, I just, I mean, I, I feel like we've kind of said what we have to say about Seven Days in May. I think so. Um, I think we can all recommend I, it. I, it's yeah. just a great film, and if you could find it, find it. Yeah. yeah. It is well worth the watch. Mm. Uh, but I, I am kind of curious in this broader sense about, like, what this year has done to us and done to what we want to watch and how we spend our time with all of that, because that's been a really, um, you know, I mean, I... Uh, vote in uh, this one critics poll in the year and I have like 40 or 50 films that I should watch and I'm just like but yeah and then then there's all the films in the past that I haven't seen and then there's 
the fact, you know, I, I look at the films that, you know, we come back to, and like me coming back to The Matrix or Boogie Nights, and, mm. and those having been two of my greatest pleasures of the year. And also, like, we're coming up to 2022, and I don't know what's coming out this year entirely, but I saw the trailer for Ambulance in front of The Matrix Resurrections. I know it. Ambulance is the new film by an auteur by the name of Michael Bay. And it stars Jake Gyllenhaal oh, as a guy who's teamed up with somebody else to rob a bank. And things don't go well. And they try to make their getaway in an ambulance, which has one of the cops that got shot during it. And it basically looks like Heat meets Michael Bay, which implies, you know, meets steroids and wow. everything else. And I just saw that. I'm like... I really want to watch that. Oh my god, I really <laughs> just want to sit in a theater for two hours and have shit blow up and have like a really clear-cut like plot and moral decisions and 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 I mean Jake's great um, and Michael Bay knows how to you know curate mayhem mm. on a giant scale and he doesn't have bloody Ryan Reynolds in it like you know giving fifty one-liners. It's just going to be uh, a, ser- a a straight up. You know, I mean, it, wow. yeah, a heat for wow. the. Yeah. I have to say, I'm surprised by that. I, I, am, I, am, I, I can see that because 2021, I will admit it, has given me a shit kicking. There was a bunch of stuff hit one after the other after the other, and I found. I mean, this was we've gone through what multiple lockdowns. Yeah. This was the longest lockdown, and it's not long compared to some places that were locked down for a year and a half. No. But it gave me a shit kicking. And when I look at the stuff that I've been watching, just to switch my brain off, the most yeah. fun time I had, in the last six months of watching a movie by myself was a rewatch of Sudden Death with John claude Van Damme because <laughs> yeah. it's the stupidest fucking oh, movie so in the good. world. I mean, one of and my most so joyful good. cinema experiences was watching that in the place that shall yeah. not be named it's... with a friend who had exactly the same reactions to the same things, oh, like the reveal of the mascot. Oh, and the, And we're just like... Oh. It's such an amazing... Yeah. Because it was written as a spoof and then it became an action movie that still is partially a spoof and it just—it's it's tremendously it's fun, wonderfully film. fun, and, and it's, the and you, um, the oh the helicopter. Oh yes, the helicopter finale. When, when, oh, you, when, yeah. you, when you've had Peter Hyams articulating that yeah. sort of mayhem, and I guess it's that kind of you know cinema's a medium that can help us gain empathy with other people and the struggles they're feeling. I just don't have any more empathy left to get. <laughs> and I feel like a horrible human being no, for saying that. But we've, we've, you know, we've, we've taken our, I find our, it yeah, fascinating that yeah. your description of ambulance, I wasn't under or overwhelmed. I was just whelmed. It was <laughs> right. it just I it, it it did nothing to make me interested in the way you were describing it. So the other it, part yeah. of it is there's color. So I have so one of the things is like since going um, December 3rd, like I mean Sarah and I saw I think seven films in seven days in the cinema. Um, and some of that's professional due diligence of shit she needs to yeah, catch up with. Of some of it's things I wanted to see. Some of it's like, we only have like four screenings of The Last Duel on the big screen. And that was a film that I wanted to see, which was really great. She has to see The French Dispatch in the advanced screening. And so we went and saw that straight away. You know, we, we, we needed to see No mm-hmm. Time to Die straight away. I wanted to see The Power of the Dog on the big screen. I didn't know how much time I'd have and so on and so forth. And so we'd seen a bunch of stuff, and then there's her critic screening started kicking in. And, and so many of those, like, I think there's this whole trend right now of making films kind of like, 
within three shades of gray in either direction with like a slight bit of color and it's like I don't know I maybe we had color for a reason mm. and like you know some direct you know and um, and then you watch just the trailer for ambulance it's like oh yeah somebody who's not afraid of using color and making everything look like an Instagram filter mm-hmm. um, that's you know kind of tastefully washed out but actually is like going to make the whole everything as expressionist as possible and like and there was just something that was vibrant and alive and 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 Hasaguchi in particular is really guilty of this and I'm like how do you make a film with bloody like you know Jared Leto and Al Pacino eating the scenery like it's prosciutto <laughs> and and you know and your Lady Gaga giving what is comparatively a restrained performance that is still that she over sounds the like she's from Transylvania oh, yeah. oh, I, look, I've, I've heard things about this movie which make it sound like <laughs> like cats only you know without the singing so. Oh, is there going to be a butthole edition? Oh, but it's, Lady Gaga's butthole. Hold, <laughs> hold out for worst person in the world on that, because there's a whole butthole subtext in that. But, um, oh, shit. Um, oh, no. But, uh, but there is also, like... Um, and you have all this stuff, and you have big fashion, and you have a true-life murder story, and all this stuff. And you have all, scenes in Studio 54, and all this stuff. And it's just gray, and it's like, Ridley... I was like, are you losing your vision? Is it one of those things that, like, you know, that you're looking at the picture and you're seeing, like, this brilliantly bright thing where the rest of us are only seeing mud because, like, something's broken in your retina? I can't imagine Last Jewel would have been too colorful. Well, no, but but that works for a medieval piece. Like, if if they had gone to the bloody disco in The Last Duel and it had been that... (laughs) Also, The Last Duel has a good script. And it does some weird stuff with accents as well, but... I mean, what the hell are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know? Um, but, but, and The Last Duel has a really strong yeah. story and great um, structure. I love The Last Duel, actually. Yeah, but so many movies do benefit yeah. from the color. I mean, I, 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 you know, the thing I do where I'll, I desaturate a movie and I watch it in black and white. I did that sure, yeah. recently with Christine, and it became like a 50s movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But, I I, which was really yeah. great, and I haven't seen Christine in a while, but... For instance, I would not desaturate Moulin Rouge, for instance, right, because yeah. what the fuck would be the point? Yeah. <laughs> it's all about that color. And one of my other favorite movies this year was The Mitchells vs. the Machines, and that's right. A right as um, a right thing. Yes. You, you've got to paste it on the back of your eyeballs for two days afterwards, yeah. and it's phenomenal. So yeah, Gunpowder Milkshake. Gunpowder Milkshake was very, right, very neon. Very neon. Yeah. I mean, to be so, fair, yeah. Let's let's have some fun movies now. Let's have some movies which are bright and colorful, yeah. and maybe a few movies. Ice just, Truckers. You know, oh, <laughs> ice road. You mean ice road? It is an ice road. <laughs> what the fuck is going crazy on the ice road? I think, I think you mean ice truckers or ice pirates. Ice pirates was colorful. <laughs> <laughs> We've dropped an ice pirates. That's what I we think... need. It's a big remake of ice pirates. Oh yeah. You know? I think we are. I think we may have hit our our peak of uh, I, the viewers' I, interest right now. Once I we think started just, dropping let, ice pirates Let's just pirate end references. by. Um, <laughs> there, there's no more appropriate person to dedicate um, something to off the oh, back yes. of the ice pirates than John Lely. John Lely. Oh, John. John Lilly, projectionist at the Hollywood, who passed many away. Many passed away. We found out passed away last night. Last anyway. night. I don't know all the details, an absolute, but um, absolute an absolute legend, legend of um, cinema and of keeping the faith, and uh, still projecting marathon movies at three in the morning at seventy-eight absolute, years of old. It was an absolute honor yeah. to be at his um, tribute film, um, which he chose of um, West Side Story, oh. which was an amazing, Fantastic. amazing thirty-five mil print. Yeah. The end of an era. So, yeah. end of the era, end of a 
fucking terrible year. <laughs> and, um, Roll on 2020 yeah. where things will be... We, we cannot predict that. We cannot safely predict that. But we can, we can at least say with at we least 85% yeah. confidence that this year will end. And, uh, <laughs> and, and we will be back. Yes. Uh, yes. Arbitrary dates. Gentlemen, it's so good to have you back. Yes, yes. likewise. Nice.